And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is Friday, December 1st, 2017. Flip your calendars ahead. And if you've got a watch, they, you know, make sure it's not the 31st because 30 days has November. Welcome. Welcome to this, this edition of the Hagman Report. Again, it's Friday, December 1st, 2017. 24 days away from Christmas, the Christian celebration of Christmas. By the way, Merry Christmas. That's right. And look, you know, I, I understand about the dates and such, but Merry Christmas. Of course, the deep state, uh, we're going to be getting into a number of things, the deep state, uh, uh, thrown down, thrown down Michael Flynn, of course, uh, being forced to plead guilty. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about a number of things the first hour. The second hour, we're going to have Kaya Jones on. Kaya Jones, I'm sorry. Uh, and, uh, you, you, most, most people know who she is. And I know her only, not from her music, sorry, uh, I guess I'm a little old, old. Uh, I'm old, I'm ancient, but uh, I know her from, of course, her story, she was on Sean Hannity, she was on, uh, she's been on a number of uh, radio programs and television programs, Sean Hannity uh, show, of course, uh, being of, of late. And then the third hour tonight, we're going to have Peter Chowka coming on to join us. Now, a couple of announcements out of the gate. Portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks, omahasteaks.com. If you really want a great steak, oh, I remember being in uh, Branson, Missouri, in one of the most famous steakhouses in the country. I was there. And, and it was during the uh, conference. And... Uh, I don't go, I don't go out to eat. I, I just don't do that. I, I really don't. So anyway, uh, I had a great steak, but Omaha steaks, you want a great steak, omahasteaks.com. But here's the, here's the deal. You have to use HH as the promo code. That's omahasteaks.com, HH as the promo code. And, and you're going to receive, uh, discounts on a very special package that you can, order for yourself it's under fifty dollars and you get a whole bunch of stuff or send it to uh, that hard to buy for a person omahasteaks.com hh is a promo code but uh now uh we have uh today by the way i wanted to mention we had uh i, I had done and we're beginning this here shortly i had done the, the entire program dedicated to the mysterious death of Lori clazutis the 28 year old uh, uh staffer for Joe Scarborough. If you didn't have a chance to listen to that program, if you want to know about that unsolved death, and I'm going to thank each and every person who had sent in comments to me. I read every single one. That's right, every single one. My daughter printed them out uh, working in the office, and I read every single one. I responded to one. I'm going to respond to every single one. That's my promise. I will respond to every single one. So I want to say thank you for that. And, of course, uh, Joe and John did a fantastic show today as well. Now, a couple of announcements for Patreon members, supporters of this program through Patreon. Eric, the tech, uh, if, if, if I could turn a camera on him, you would see an overworked, underpaid skeleton of a guy 
who looks like uh, uh, Einstein. You, you know, remember how Einstein worked? Okay, you ever see Einstein's desk? That's the way it is. But he's got the form up and running. So if you have donated to that point, and I don't even know what that is, but I'm sorry. Okay, ten or on the forum. It, this forum's awesome. Uh, Dad, you're plugged in. I'm plugged in. Yes. John's there. Eric's there. And there's a number of of members that have already signed up to use this forum. And I love forums. And we're going to populate this daily with uh, different topics and and uh, areas of discussion. And we're going to continue to build this thing. And and um, yeah, we ask for the participation of those out there especially for the Patreon donors, take advantage of this. And, and you know, th- this is a place where I want to go. I, I really want to go. I've, I've been to all of the, you know, you know, from Reddit to 4chan to various political forums on both sides of the, of the spectrum to survival Conspiracy forums. Conspiracy forums. Sp- yeah. Every forum there is. I want this to be different. This is your forum. To, to those who have supported our program. And, and look, I'm sorry, we, we had to make a cutoff because all of this costs money and time, investment of personnel and such. But I, I, I want it to be yours. This, we only have one rule, basically. Just please be nice. That's all. Treat others like you would treat yourself or want to be treated yourself. That's all we ask. And, uh, it's not to slight anyone. It's, uh, and as a matter of fact, if, if you, um, uh, if you've supported us in the past year alone, send an email to studio at hagman and hagman.com with the subject line form and, and we'll see if we can get you in there, uh, somehow, you know, if you're, if you're financially unable to, to, to support us. We understand that. We just don't want anyone to be alone, okay? Uh, I've got a, I've got a heart for those people who, you know, who, who are alone and, and don't have family and don't have people to talk to. Now this is not a, a, you know, it's it's a forum, okay, but you can share ideas and there's some fellowship and such. So there's that, and and also Sunday, I can't wait for Sunday at seven o'clock on Sunday. Uh, I, I, well, describe it, Joe. I'm going to toss it to you too for the. Okay, I don't even completely understand it. But it's this is a, what we're going to be a video doing. conference, but for the Patreon, for people on Patreon who've donated over twenty five dollars. We are all going to gather in a room. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to be on our computers. We're going to be on video. A virtual room. Right. And there's going to be however many people uh, come to watch who are donors in that tier on Patreon. And we're going to sit around, and and if I have this correct, Eric, uh, give me a thumbs up. We're going to ask questions that the listeners ask us. We're going to answer questions that the listeners ask us. We're going to have a conversation, right? Anything. Okay. So, yeah, it's a... Okay, so everybody's going to be on video, and we can have a discussion about everything and anything. So, so it's going to be our first time wear. Don't wear pajamas. Well, I'll be able to wear pajamas because you'll have from you know here up. It's a Sunday Sunday evening family gathering. I mean, I'm not going to be in a tie. I'll tell you that. Okay, now this is our first time up. So give us a chance if things go sideways or if. You know there are problems. Please understand. We'll try it again next week. If we yeah, have to. if we have to, but we want to make this a monthly thing. And if there happens to be too many people, because everyone you know wants to jump in, um, we'll figure we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out. But so, so you know, 
just have patience with us, but we're growing. And, and this is, to me, I want to thank everyone who's helped us. I, I hope you can, you can see the investment where your, your support is going and we're growing all of the time. John, you know, he's so excited. He, he's like vibrating out of his chair because, uh, we, we're actually getting, uh, 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 well, I want to be careful because I don't want to give too too much away, but you're going to be seeing field reports, reports from the field. I can guarantee you that um, that you don't see elsewhere from people who are really pros in, in their field of journalism. It, it, we're growing there, and of course uh, tonight, Kaya Jones coming on, um, and again, she's a really well known singer back what what decade was that? Nineties, early two thousands. Um, and, and, and Peter Barry Chalka coming on. You can see how we're growing. I hope you can see that. And, and I want to thank you for that. And, and, and I, I love it because that really, that really torques a lot of people off or detractors. You know, all oh, their, uh, the fact that we're, that we're growing, it's, 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 um, we don't do it for that reason, but it's kind of funny to, to read some of the comments about that. Um, but but all we want to do is bring you the information. We want to be for the form or for the for okay uh, only for oh the insanity in my earpiece okay only four people got invitations for the form oh the forum oh, for, okay I thought you said four. we're having a discussion folks talk amongst yourselves while we work this out yeah Eric you should jump, when you uh, when you do that you should jump on air so right. we can hear in our our earpieces. Okay, right. so everybody who donated the $10 level on Patreon um, has an email in their inbox with the instructions and links on how to activate their forum membership. Correct. So look for that and uh, complete that and get into the forum as soon as possible. Dad, I think you posted a, a greetings and welcome I did. thread to get things started there. So Yeah, yeah. And this is, again, we want to, to welcome and, and embrace everyone. And we really want to, uh, we want to make this just the, the, the best we can, we can make it for you. And, uh, anyway, so all of this business aside. And man. one more thing. Oh. And the video. Okay. You gonna platform, come on air? I can't hear I am you. on air. Oh, you're on air. Okay. Yeah. The all video right. platform on, um, Sunday, people will receive an email probably around like five Eastern time. Okay. And, and that'll happen invitation. at seven. Yeah. With the links and, and they gotta it, set okay. up their account with their name and stuff and Okay folks, so if you heard that, the people who are gonna be joining us on the video conference, the twenty five dollar tier membership on Patreon, are going to receive an email on Sunday with the links and instructions on how to get in there um and and join us on the group call at seven. So we are looking forward to that. You ready to jump into some news? Yeah, uh, obviously. Michael Flint, let's start there. Uh, well, may I oh, just... Oh, no, no, yeah, you got it. Yeah, okay. I just want to mention this. Uh, December or November 29th at 9.14 in the morning, President Donald Trump, uh, the second line of a, of a paragraph tweet, referenced Joe Scarborough and the dead office staffer, the unsolved mystery uh, involving Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough. And I just want to touch... Just want to touch base. I'm not going to take any any time or much time away from uh, tonight's program. I just want to say I dedicated this morning's program to the mysterious death of Lori Klozudis, 28 year old female. She was born in August of 1972.
just the Fort Walton Beach office of Representative, then U.S. House of Representative uh, member Joe Scarborough, on July 20th, 2001. Again, the two months shy of her uh, 29th birthday. And re- the, the, the medical examiner in this case who certified her death, Dr. Michael Birkeland, is no stranger to controversy. Back in the mid-90s, he was uh, a, a medical examiner in Missouri. He had his license suspended. He moved to uh, the Pensacola area of Florida, where, or the western uh, Emerald Coast of Florida, where he was working as a medical examiner. Of course, he got the case of Lori Clazutis. Uh, by the way, it was in the mid—I think it was 2012 when uh, he was—he had a storage locker. Now, remember, Lori Clazutis was found as working for Morning Joe, or Joe Scarborough, as he was a. Um, House of Representative member since May of 1999. In July of July 20th, 2001, her body was found in his office, reportedly from a um, uh, a heart ailment that caused syncope. She fell or caused her to faint. She fell, reportedly fell, struck her head on the desk, and thusly died from a subdural hematoma and bleeding and pressure inside the brain. And she was found at approximately eight o'clock in the morning, just after 8 o'clock in the morning on July 20th, last seen or last heard from the previous day, July 19th of 2001, right after 5 p.m. Now, I go into the details about the lights being on, the lights being off, eyewitness accounts and such on my morning program. I'm not, I'm not going to repeat that. And then go into the background of Dr. Birkeland. I also go into the um, the, 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 the the fact that Scarborough contacted the news um, uh, within three hours of finding the body. So I go into a lot of detail there. The reason I bring this up now, if you want the background on Clazutis, perhaps some of what you've not heard. By the way, I do have the autopsy report. Um, and I mentioned the, the, the fact that I was involved in this case on, 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 at its periphery. When I say involved, I received a call. This was late 01, early 02, in my capacity as an investigator from someone in that area wanting some uh, mutual aid. And I'm not going to get into it except to say that at that time, a lot of documentation, I received a lot of documentation. After that, that tweet was sent by President Donald Trump, I found, I went through the files, I keep all the files forever, and found the file from that investigator's request. I dusted it off, found a lot of documentation in there, and that's what I used as the, uh, uh, to talk about that on the show this morning. So if it sounded rather detailish, that's from the, um, the, my personal investigative file on this. But the, the big question about this is, is why did Donald Trump mention Lori Klazutis, Joe Scarborough, now? Out of all of the times, why now? I really didn't get into it. I didn't finish that, that thought on my morning program. But why now? That's a good question. Cause what can be done? Nothing. Well, r- right. Nothing. I mean, right. Well, you have the findings by the coroner. They're not. It's not like Trump can say, "Hey, but, but, you know, but the coroner, the coroner, autopsy is disgraced." And, and yeah, but, the- but he could. But but see, it, I'm just going to say this. Here's the answer to the question: Why now? It is poking poking the deep state to say, "I've got information on you." This this does relate to a number of things that include, but is not limited to. And this is my personal opinion, personal investigative opinion. Pedogate, sex trafficking, human trafficking, and um, sexual assault. 
it, it, at its periphery. All right, that's that's the only thing I'm going to say. And Donald Trump has, because of his position and his contacts, now has information that people want to go down certain roads and poke at Donald Trump. He's got some goods that he can turn around, and uh, I would say more of an insurance policy. That's now you might say, well, why doesn't he just release all of the information? I think he will eventually, just not right now. Trust me when I tell you that. So, okay, that's all I wanted to say. And if you listen to the program, I invite you to send any comments about it or any uh, anything, and you could hear it within that, that hour, to studio at Hagman and Hagman.com, and I will respond to you directly and personally over the weekend. And that's all I wanted to say about that. I just want to make sure I got that in. Now let's move on to Michael Flynn. Joe, all go right. ahead. Michael Flynn was charged today, and if you saw... If you spent any time today, which I hope most of you didn't, watching CNN, MSNBC, or some of these other crazy, you know, talk shows and political commentator shows, you would have thought Trump was literally handcuffed and walked out of the White House himself. You have headlines such as, uh, like Christmas, the view overjoyed by Flynn plea. Uh, and, and it goes on and on. I'm not going to go through all the examples. So what is happening with the Flynn uh, guilty plea, and what does it mean for Donald Trump? Well, there's a number of different avenues where people can uh, go down to see what makes the most sense, and we're going to do just that with a few of them today. But Flynn pleads guilty to lying to the FBI. And in this article from the National Review, and thanks for printing this out. It, it says as follows, and we're just going to read some of the important parts in here. Former Trump administration national security advisor Michael Flynn is expected to plead guilty today to lying to the FBI regarding his conversations with Russia, Russia's ambassador to the United States. Now, before we go any further, I want to read a statement that Michael Flynn issued today. After over 33 years of military service to our country, including nearly five years in combat away from my family, and then my decision to continue to serve the United States, it has been extraordinarily painful to endure these many months of false accusations of treason and other outrageous acts. Such false accusations are contrary to everything I have ever done and stood for, but I recognize that the actions I acknowledged in court today were wrong, and though my faith in God, and through my faith in God, I am working to set things right. My guilty plea and agreement to cooperate with special counsel's office reflect a decision I had made in the best interest of my family and of our country. I accept full responsibility for my actions. So what was, what is, what did Flynn lie to the FBI about? Flynn did not tell the truth or did not admit to meeting or making contact with a Russian ambassador after Trump had won the presidency before he was inaugurated, which from what I understand, Flynn talked to 35 other country ambassadors in that same time. But the issue was not him talking to the ambassador. The issue was him lying to the FBI about talking to the ambassador. And that's where this charge stems from. Now you have chains of thought. You know, Judge Napolitano is saying that this uh, Michael Flynn's guilty plea is a nightmare for Trump. And then you have the stories from the National Review, what Flynn plea means. And this article goes on to detail what the charge is. And um, it says, at the time, Flynn was slated to become the National Security Advisor to President-elect Trump. 
The conversation occurred on the same day that then-President Obama announced sanctions against Russia for its interference in the 2016 elections. It has... It is believed to have been recorded by the FBI because the Russian ambassador, uh, Kislok, as an agent of a foreign power, was subject to monitoring under the Foreign Intelligence Service Act. Mueller has charged Flynn with falsely telling the FBI agents that he did not ask the ambassador to refrain from escalating the situation, that being the sanctions on Russia. In being questioned by the agents on January 24th, Flynn also lied when he claimed that he could not recall a subsequent conversation with Kislak, in which the ambassador told Flynn that Putin regime had chosen to moder- moderate its response to the sanctions. Now, and it goes on to detail more about the sanctions. It says, obviously it was wrong for Flynn to give the FBI false information. He could have, after all, simply refused to speak with the agents in the first place. And it goes on to say that there was nothing wrong with the incoming national security advisors having meetings with foreign counterparts or discussing such matters as the sanctions in those meetings. If, if the FBI and or had FISA recordings of Flynn and his conversations, there was no need to ask Flynn what the conversations entailed. And that's just really a side point. Um, and it goes, it goes on very issues of foreign agent registration acts. Um, uh, uh, charges are are in the in forty seven years. I think there has been six, maybe. Okay. So j- just for perspective, in line to the FBI, w- does not equal collusion with Russia or interference in the twenty sixteen elections. Just just saying. Go ahead. So here's where it gets interesting in this article. While initial reporting is portraying Flynn's guilty plea as a major breakthrough in Mueller's investigation of potential Trump campaign collusion with the Russian regime. I suspect the opposite is true. Speculation that Flynn is now cooperating in Mueller's investigation stirred in recent days due to reports that he had pulled out of a joint defense agreement to share information with other subjects of the investigation. And it goes on from there. Well, one thing that I I did see here on the statement that he made, and let me pull that back up, I did think in his statement that he just issued, I believe he did say, that he was cooperating with Mueller. So that, in his own words, this is what he says in the last sentence. My guilty plea and agreement to cooperate with special counsel's office reflect the decision I made in the best interest of my family and country, and I accept full responsibility for my actions. So that verifies the fact that he is going to cooperate, but what does he have to offer? But either way, so All Michael right. Flynn, just like Papadopoulos, was charged with lying to the FBI, even though what he was lying about wasn't a crime in the first place. See how little yep. sense this makes? And, and this is very true. Donna, Diana West, who is the author of Betrayal, she has an article at dianawest.net. When gotcha is just contact sport. I like to play in words, and she gets into the historical background of of, of this and she writes that the presses have stopped, news is broken. Make that the presses are broken, the news is stopped. I love that. But mm-hmm. uh, this is, and as you rightly pointed out, painted the picture of the left, the progressives, the shadow government. They're so excited about this. They believe that this is the beginning of the end yeah. of the Trump presidency. Now, I heard a, a guest host on Sean Hannity's radio show today who made the point, he said that if... It is true that Donald Trump asked Flynn to reach out, which is something that in his position as national security advisor he would do anyway. It proves that there wasn't collusion because this was an attempt of contact or initial contact. But 
that's neither here nor there. Well, My question it, is, right. what does this mean for the Trump for Trump and for his administration? We, as you just said, the left, they're giddy about this. They yeah. think that this somehow proves and it puts the nail in the coffin of Trump. Other people think that it's not a big deal, that it's really going to go nowhere. And I do believe that Robert Mueller is going to do everything he try, can to try to um, charge Trump with something. Obviously, well, well, it's going to be obstruction. For. Number one is well, going to be obstruction. Well, this is what I understand. James Comey testified that he that Trump was not under investigation. Trump fires Comey, and somehow that's obstruction of justice under an investigation that never took place, or was not happening, or did not involve Trump at all. And, and that's so just one spoke of, uh, spoke of a, a many spokes of it within the wheel. That's right. I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand how they can do it. Well, this. Diana West kind of put some perspective in this because she goes back into the historical record, which I like, and identifies what is taking place today versus what has traditionally gone on. And you can go back to Nixon, Kissinger, China, and uh, Russia. In fact, uh, with Kissinger. But let's say that President. Uh, the issue is this. Um, we're supposed okay. The issue is that um, Donald Trump directed Michael Flynn to make contact with the Russians initially as a way to fight uh, work together to fight ISIS and uh, together in Syria. Now, um, let's just say, and, and this is Diana West writing this. Let's just say President Trump did direct his incoming NSA National Security Advisor Mike Flynn to uh, make contact with the Russians about ISIS uh, in the pre-inaugural weeks after the November 2016 election. The question is, so what? And there it is. That, I think that's what you've been saying. So what? Mm-hmm. Does it matter? It, well, that's a real question. It, it's also the first point of the perspective worth adding to the stick drawings, if you will, that sell as news today, writes Diana West. So what? Advisable or not, there's nothing treasonous. There's nothing scandalous about mm-hmm. this. No. At all. And, and, and you look back in history. Kissinger via Nixon did this. Uh, but somehow, some way, this has now become treasonous. But I, I truly, what I believe, Joe, and, and we can pick this up after the, after the break is, I really believe that they will use the left, are going to use the deep state, the permanent shadow government is going to use this to take out Donald Trump. I or believe. try to. I or mean, try to. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But there, I don't think they will be successful because they, I mean, as much as they yell obstruction and, and they yell, uh, you know, collusion and where there's smoke, there's fire, there is not one shred of proof of evidence that Trump did anything wrong. And if there has, if there was something there, they would have already thrown it in our faces a long time ago. We'll pick this discussion up on the other side. You're listening to this Friday edition of the Hagman Report. back to this Friday, December 1st edition of the Hagman Report. we got a, another half hour. We're going to get into a bunch more news, and then we're going to be joined by Kaya Jones in Hour 2, followed by Peter Chowka in Hour 3. I don't know how many people saw this. Uh, this is a, an unreported story. We're, 
Donald Trump, when he became president, said that he would donate his salary to a number of different charities. Well, Trump has donated his third quarter paycheck to battling the opioid epidemic, and this is going to help the Health and Human Services Department battle this epidemic, the White House announced yesterday. Trump has pledged to donate his entire salary to various causes and so far has dedicated each of his quarterly $100,000 paychecks to different federal programs, and uh, from the National Parks to the Education Department and now to this opioid epidemic. And does this bring uh, happiness from the people in the media saying, look at the president, you know, donating his salary? Absolutely not. He's even worse for doing this. No, I think it's fun to say that he bought uh, heroin, right? <laughs> you know, it, it's know. crazy. But, again, he's doing what he says he was going to do and putting his money where his mouth is. So that's good to see. You know, uh, Greg Jackson, of course, has got a new book out, 40 Rules to Help Men or Boys Become Men. 40 rules to help boys become men. Let me tell you something. Every, every parent with a young boy should have that book. And the reason I bring Greg Jackson up is I got an email from him saying, man, you know, you're, uh, my mouth was watering when you were talking about Omaha Steaks. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks. The, the Omaha Steaks is giving the listeners of the Hagman and the Hagman Report a very, very special offer. You're not going to find this elsewhere. Um, Omaha Steaks. Go, go, go to omahasteaks.com and, uh, in the search bar type in HH. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an exclusive savings just for you. Now, if you're looking for that perfect gift for someone that's hard to buy for, maybe, maybe your boss, maybe the uncle that, uh, you know, has everything, or maybe even your folks, this my family gift pack is the perfect gift. It's under fifty dollars. Listen to what you would get. Listen to what you what you'll get in this package: two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four of their Omaha steak burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, which is just, again, I want to find out what they put in that because it really brings out the flavor and it's got a tremendously unique flavor, plus four um, kielbasa sausages. But with this pack, you'll get four extra kielbasa sausages free. Here's how to get all of that. Imagine getting all of that. Here's here's what you need to do. Go to omahasteaks.com or just go to Hagman Report. Click on the link to Omaha Steaks. And when you get there, this is really important. Type in HH in the search bar for a 75% savings. It's it's a gift that's guaranteed to be a hit. All of that for $49.99. And that's, that's called My Family Gift Pack. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter HH in the search bar, again, 75% off. You can't beat it. But I just want you to think. Think back to the smell, the aroma of the steak cooking over a charcoal grill, perhaps. And, oh, the mouth-watering tender aged beef. Omaha Steaks, you can't beat that. OmahaSteaks.com, HH in the search bar, my family gift pack, 75% off. It's a, it's a guaranteed to be a hit. You get it for yourself or as a gift. OmahaSteaks.com, HH in the search bar. So yeah, you know, this, uh, wow, all of this news. And Joe, let me ask, seeing the Flynn story Break and, and uh, didn't I? We've been we've been talking about this. I told you on my morning program. I said this was coming, and it indeed it has. 
do you expect what do you expect this weekend uh in terms of news in your view and you because you've been doing a lot of research anything re- involving Flynn involving President Trump or do you think it's going to be something more in the geopolitical realm with North Korea what about the what about the Secretary of State what about other news that we haven't gotten into well yeah there is a lot going on and and don't forget everyone out there go to hagmanreport.com there, Peter Chowka has a new article up here is The Smoking Gun. The purpose of government health care is control. That's his latest piece. And there's a number of other important pieces up there we're going to get into um, a little bit. What do I expect to see this weekend is the tax bill. The, okay. Um, we haven't talked about that. Right. And now Mitch McConnell saying they have enough votes to pass it through. There are some changes made to the bill that call for tax increases if the economy doesn't meet certain uh, numbers in a, in a multi-year time frame, which is concerning to some. And there's a lot of pushback from the left and the left media. They, they say, that, you know, uh, this is only for Donald Trump and his friends, but there's a lot more to it than that. And I think they need to, they need to get this through and they need to, um, do it sooner rather than later. And I think we're going to see that. I don't I thought they were supposed to vote on it today. Then it was delayed. Then I heard that they might vote on it again tonight or were about to vote on it at five o'clock. There was even a live stream camera up. But no, this is the, the, the remember civics class. Okay. The remember civics class. This is a monetary bill. So it starts in the Senate and then it goes to the House. That's how it's supposed to work anyway. Wasn't it passed from the House to the Senate? No, it goes from the Senate to the House. But, but here's the thing. I don't, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna have a rocky, um, existence in the House. I don't think that they're gonna be able to pass this before Christmas as it is desired by President Trump. What do you think, uh, out there in, uh, listening to this? I, I'm just wondering about this. I, I don't. No, it passed the House on the 16th of November. Trump and Republican leaders in Congress are aiming to pass legislation by year's end that would simplify the code and deliver $1.5 trillion in tax cuts over a decade. Both the House and Senate bills deliver the majority of cuts to corporations and wealthy Americans. That's from the Washington Post. But, yeah, November... Okay, I stand corrected. I, I It was my understanding that this has got to go through the House yet. No, if I this bill went through, start originated or went through the House already, it was passed. Oh, help me, Rhonda. The House Isn't on that a song? So it was, uh, it was two weeks ago yesterday. The House passed legislation to overhaul the tax code Thursday. Uh, the vote passed 227 to, to, to 205. Yeah, so now when, once the All Senate right. passes it, it can be signed into law by the president. Now we have reports, um, but okay, but but the issue isn't the issue with with regard to this particular tax bill. Uh, I've seen tweets out there that that the uh, that the senators have not seen the actual bill, and yet the lobbyists have. I you know I have not read that. I have not seen that anywhere, and I think that if that were really the case, we'd be hearing a lot more of that in the news. This would be a major talking point by the left wing media. All right. If the bill was like the Obamacare, or what was some of the other oh, yeah. ones where they kept it actually secret from the people voting on it, and you could only read it if you had you know no cell phones or pens on you, you had to be taken to secret rooms. Oh, I'm you sorry. Hear- I was I was referencing the committees. My apologies in that 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 uh, I, I have to say I'm it's sorry just, uh, for the, my civics. Uh, I explained that incorrectly, the committees as opposed to the bill going into the various committees and how it's processed. My apologies. I'm sorry. So one of the interesting things that is coming out of this bill, Senator Bob Corker, a leading fiscal guy who pledged early to oppose any bill that expanded the federal deficit, 
stood out as the lone remaining republic the center as drafted. The bill was projected to add $1 trillion in 10 years to the $20 trillion national debt, even after counting its boost to the economy. I am not able to cast aside my financial concerns and vote for legislation that could deepen the debt burden on future generations, uh, he says. Now, when we saw a George Bush double the national debt in his tenure as president. And we saw Obama, Obama yeah. double the national debt in his tenure as president. One trillion dollars over ten years. I'd have to read the bill, but you know, way, you know, uh, we, have to, we should contact bad. Gerald Salini too about this. It doesn't sound that bad. I mean, we've seen things go through that raise the debt that much in in less than a year or two's time. So, uh, I don't believe for one second these. Fiscal hawks in, in Congress care one bit about the national deficit. Not one bit. No, no, and, and uh, but it's unsustainable. Regardless, if if this keeps going, the, the one the one thing I think that that President Donald Trump has done, I think he could put this in the wind column without any degree of hesitation, is is his management of the financial sector. Look at the stock market. And it was interesting that, that I saw this, and the media was trying to play this down, at least on MSNBC and CNN, that when the Flynn guilty plea was announced, uh, what did you see the stock market drop 200 points? Right what did it end at? Like uh, down 60, I, I, I think? I don't know. It, it came back up, and it was, um, I'm going to look right now, because I was tracking it all day, and I think around, it ended at down 40. So it, all that, you know. The market's crashing because of the Flynn uh, right. plea. It's garbage. Well, it's garbage. Uh, I, I I believe that the entire system is tenuous at best. And again, the the debt is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. The economy is. Uh, Donald Trump is pulling it from from the ruins. And it's been ruined by both political parties. Mm-hmm. It's not just one party, as you'd mentioned. So, uh, he's got, a, he's got a lot of, uh, stuff on his hands. But, but in my view, just from what I've read of the, the summary of the bill, I've not read the bill itself, just the summary and the, the points of this tax bill, uh, the argument by the progressive left is, well, this is going to give the rich this tax break. Well, no, it's not. It doesn't matter. The left would never agree to a tax break for anybody. Right. They want all the tax money so they can, you know, distribute it out to all their welfare recipients. And how's that working for Venezuela, for example? I would ask Bernie Sanders that question and and others. But, okay, so... When I say welfare recipients, I don't mean people who need... It doesn't matter. We're we're talking about people who, who are able to work but just don't want to and, and take advantage of the system. And, and, the, and then you've got corporate welfare as well. Oh, yeah, which, which just is bad if not worse. Right. So, and, you know, the, the pass-through corporations. and But anyway, the, to cover that would take uh, too much time. And don't forget, at the top of this hour, we've got Kaya Jones coming on. And that's going to be a, just a fantastic defiant ex-pussycat doll, Kaya Jones. And she's going to be talking about how top exec- record executives sexually assaulted her back in uh, back in the back of a, of, of a limousine, and, and the epidemic problem that's taking place in the in the entertainment industry. And I've got to thank her in advance, and uh, all of the all of the the very brave people coming forward to tell the stories. Uh, what's the what's the take on the? Um, other revelations, the, the uh, sexual revelations and exposure. We've got 
that Miller came out talking about Geraldo Rivera. That's you, from 1991. I, I, yeah. That came out on Wednesday. It was yeah. an interesting story. She was being interviewed, and somehow it came up. You know how how do you how do you like Geraldo Rivera? How did you guys meet? Which I didn't get why the question was thrown in there, but. Uh, she talked about in the 70s interacting with Geraldo the first time that they met. Apparently, Geraldo and his producer shoved her in a room, put poppers under her nose, and groped her. But Geraldo has That's a reputation a for being... Thought. Yeah, Geraldo has a... Re- he wrote a book where he, I think back in the 90s, where he bragged about sleeping with thousands of women. I don't know. I mean, we we haven't seen any new... Allegations today, yesterday, Russell Simmons, uh, the rap mogul that came out that, you know, he had raped a woman, the woman who he actually raped came out and wrote, wrote an article about it. You have, um, on Drudge, you know, on the left hand side, this is where they've been kind of keeping the sexual harassment, keeping track of it. Matt Lauer will not receive payout. He was seeking a $30 million payout. Um, well, the severance, right? For the rest of his contract, yeah. Right. But thankfully he won't be getting that. Um, Congressman Conyers is going to decide within days on political future. He is the one who is accused of sexually assaulting a number of women, but Pelosi was put other, on the hot seat about Conyers. Yeah, according to other congressmen, the Conyers case uh, doesn't really count because his accusers were white women. That you know from another member of Congress. And Pelosi, yeah, there's a. I didn't watch the video. Pelosi suffers face spasms, brain freezes while denouncing. Conyers. This is she's for been like doing the, this for a while. 15th or 20th time in public, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she's been having some, some problems recently. And oh. there's a video on the American Mirror, the American Mirror, right. which outlines exactly what it is, that shows the video and shows the some of the problems that she has. But she, she's she been having those problems for a while, so that's nothing new. Joe Scarborough, again, doubled down his claims that's about right. Trump being mentally unfit. He even said that the military... Should should not listen to Trump and and refuse to to take orders from him and should you know rebel against him, which you know these people these people are are crazy. I mean they're what, what can what else can we say about them? They are so delusional. They, you know, they say Trump is mentally unfit. This is more of that projection. You know they accuse other people what they are guilty of, from the yeah. Russian collusion to mentally unfit. Uh, uh, I, I but I th- I think I, and I go Scarborough. Uh, calling, doing that. I think that, uh, Don, President Donald Trump's November 29th Twitter message, that was kind of his version of a Monica missile. Yeah. Against Scarborough. Uh, the Department of Justice, by the way, just filed an arrest warrant for Kate Steinle's killer, the Jose Good. Garcia Good. Zarate. Okay, so, uh, but on what grounds, people might ask, because isn't... I wanted to ask you about that. Is that considered double jeopardy? No, no. Okay. Because, um, now, he was acquitted of the murder of Kay Stanley in her shooting death. Okay. However, I, it's my understanding, looking just quickly at the, at the, um, arrest warrant or the reference to the arrest warrant, um, I don't believe it's a civil right issue. I believe it's a violation of, I don't want to say cross, uh, cross border, but you're talking about felonious activity coming into the United States several times. And watch how this is going to play out as well between the Department of Justice and those sanctuary cities, including but not yeah. limited to San Francisco. You were talking about and listening to Michael Savage. Oh, yeah. He uh, he was hot today. Uh, and he's been doing Periscope broadcasts on Twitter. So go follow right. him on Twitter. 
and check out some of his Periscope stuff. But yeah, he was on on fire today over this. He, he's from San Francisco. That's where he lives. Uh, he was calling for Trump to send in the military and National Guard to round up the illegal immigrants, the politicians who enable sanctuary city policies, and the homeless people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you listen to Savage, you'll understand why he included homeless people. Um, but interestingly enough, there, I mean, he is, it was really angry, and rightfully so. A lot of people are. It's one thing, you know, we'll get into the details of, of this, this case and this acquittal. But have you seen the the left has some of the people on the left have been celebrating the acquittal as some kind of victory for immigrant rights? Isn't this kind of reminiscent of of the uh, O.J. Simpson trial in a way, and and that whole O.J. Simpson mania that went on from the Bronco chase to the acquittal? It, that that's what it seems to me that that mentality. But you're right; it is a celebration of of. Uh, well, was see, like OJ was a, a sports hero, but he was blocked yeah, too before at the time. my time. So I, I mean, I remember the OJ trial, and I remember all that, but I never had the infatuation with him that many Americans did. That, that's a different kind of animal, but yeah, it's the same, maybe the same mentality. This is more, this is more a political thing. Well, uh, my my question is, given the fact that an arrest warrant was was issued by the Department of Justice, by the Sessions Justice Department against Steinle's killer, my question is, okay, first of all, what charges? And, and I believe it's a felony, the Felony Act. Um, it, it could it could very well have some uh, civil rights component, but I think that there's also the Felony Act of cross border coming into the country, and then not. But but I also think that that should include, in a perfect world, the um, uh, the individuals responsible for allowing this individual to go. He was he was released what five or six different times, but yeah, uh, yep, yeah, and when he should have been detained and, and deported, but he was not. It okay, was, it says the uh, arrest warrant was originally drafted in 2015, right, and amended this week to include violations related to the charges of a felon in possession of a firearm, involuntarily right. involuntary manslaughter, and assault with a deadly weapon, all of which were filed after the defendant's initial arrest, according to Friday's warrant. Are, are you talking, I don't think, is, is that the federal arrest warrant? Okay, yeah, because it says he was, yeah, he had been released from a San Francisco jail about three months before the shooting, despite a request by federal immigration authorities to detain him. The case sparked widespread out, outrage. He was acquitted of first degree and second degree murder, involuntary manslaughter, and found not not guilty of assault with a semi-automatic weapon. He was found guilty. The arrest warrant, which was originally drafted in 2015, and amendment and amended this week. Yes, this is the DOJ arrest All warrant. All right. So he's going to be charged by the DOJ for a felon in possession of a firearm. Okay. Involuntary manslaughter, assault with a deadly weapon. So on, on federal charges, which is a whole different matter than a whole different animal than the state charges. Okay, I can see this taking place. And, and finally, and, and I do believe that that. Donald Trump had a personal hand in this, saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. do something about this," and and I believe that he was pretty angry about the the outcome. John made a a great joke on the Daily Show, saying he's surprised Jeff Sessions didn't recuse himself from this uh, case because he ate at Pure Fourteen, you know, back in in the nineties, which I thought was pretty funny, seeing how Sessions recuses himself from any and everything that's controversial. But it'll be interesting to see now if the feds take control of this case, which they should. Um, and one of the interesting things I heard about the trial, 
Did you know that the jury was not allowed to know this guy's yes. history? Not not allowed yes. to know the circumstances of the shooting. Not allowed to know that the, where the gun came from. Not allowed to know he was illegal. Not allowed to know he was deported or a felon or any of these things. Yes, they, they only had a that. very narrow margin yep. of information, which I didn't know that. Now I can understand why you might not have gotten a. Well, I don't understand why not a manslaughter charge, but why you wouldn't have got a murder charge. Well, but it's crazy. And yeah. as I said, many people are, are celebrating this. Even the lawyer for the guy said this is a victory for, you know, immigrants everywhere. And, and the, the, his attorney issued what I would call a threat to both, uh, to Donald Trump. And if you, if you listen to that statement, post trial, post acquittal statement, um, the threat involved, the wording of the, of the threat against President Donald Trump was somewhat to the extent that, hey, you've got your own problems, so you better not be taking us to task, taking my client to task for this acquittal. And that, to me, sounded extremely, um, I mean, you talk about lack of respect. Break, just breaking news, kind of switching a little bit. There's uh, news of a large scale missile exchange taking place right now between Syria and Israel. Have you seen anything about this in, in, the, in no. the news? All right. Multiple missiles, apparently, and uh, multiple interceptions are in progress. This, uh, I just happened to catch this on Been a while since account. rockets flew into Israel. Well, it, it's uh, something that, that we've not seen in 10 years. Are you saying a gov- that this is not a, a rebel force? This is a, a government action? Well, apparently, from what I understand, and, and this is, these are first reports, so don't, you know, Israeli airplanes are now carrying out, uh, apparently, airstrikes in, in and around Damascus. And they've been doing that for um, the last few years. Yes, but it looks like an escalation in that. And, um, so anyway, I, I, we're, we're keeping track of that very closely, and I wanted to bring that up. Uh, Israeli missiles targeted Syrian Army ammo storage in West Damascus. It's being reported, and um, this Syrian air. There's there's video out there, and I'm I, I can't, we can't play it right now, but of air defenses intercepting Israeli missiles, and uh, you're looking at potential Russian involvement okay. in Syria as well. Yeah. Do you have it up there? I see what you're talking about, and Syria has not really been in the news for whatever right. reason reason lately, but Israel has been carrying out strategic strikes of Syria. Since 2013, right after it fell. Right. And then you have, as you said, Iran, Russia. Uh, I think there's even troops from Venezuela operating in Syria. And we haven't had a, a comprehensive report about what's going on there. You know, the status of Assad, the status of, uh, is there still a, a massive civil war? How many casualties do we have? Um, With respect you know, to Syria. Last you're year. Right, about. right. And yeah, so, the, the uh, updated body count, shall we say? Well, Syria's a, a country has been, has just been decim- I mean, totally destroyed, uh, at, because of, and, and this is the Hillary Clinton Obama legacy. Let's, let's not forget who started this. Remember the Arab Spring. Neither organic nor, um, spontaneous. And, and this was, that nothing to do with democracy. This is about shifting the world power in the Middle East. Syria was a part of this. And, uh, G- G- yeah, Gazandra Singh had written an article back, I think it was in 20, 2008 or 2009, 
that outlined that uh, stating that Syria would explode, not implode. It was a tremendous article predicting, uh, you know, millions upon millions of deaths, and uh, and this is what we're seeing from from the intervention by Western intelligence into Syria. So yeah, let's keep that in, in mind. Real quick here before we get to the break, James Comey tweets this Bible verse after yeah. Flynn announcement. Yeah. Former FBI Director James Comey appeared to take a shot at President Trump on Friday by tweeting a Bible verse after news broke that Flynn was going to be pleading guilty. Comey wrote, But justice rolled down like waters in righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. Amos 524. Right away, he was, uh, as this headline says, eviscerated on Twitter. Um, John Cardillo replied, Says the guy who changed investigation to matter and exonerated Hillary two months before interviewing her despite a mountain of evidence. Another one, Nick Short, replied, Like a muddled spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Proverbs 25, 26. So so a a Twitter war of Bible verses with the former FBI director. Yep. Another one, Josh Hammer. You pretend that gross negligence and extreme carelessness for purely political reasons and leaked to the New York Times for... A moral high ground squeezing optics piped down, uh, and it goes on and on. Well, I and got on. into a little tw- uh, tw- a tweet spat with Preet Bahara today. To who? With who? Preet, Preet, Bahara, Preet Bahara, the uh, um, the uh, no idea. Uh, U.S. Attorney out of New York, or the uh, yeah, the U.S. Attorney out of New York, who was uh, fired by Donald Trump, and oh, of course he's okay. yeah Preet Bahara. So. Uh, and of course, he, well, I, we don't have time to get into that. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. Coming up next, oh, Kaya Jones. This is going to be great, folks. Hold on to your hats because uh, Kaya Jones is going to be coming in telling her story. Stay right where you're at. edition of the Hagman Report. Coming up very soon is uh, ex-pussycat doll Kaya Jones. I want to give a very special thank you to Patricia Passerotti and uh, Tori Lindemann as well. But uh, Patricia Passerotti, thank you so much for assistance, your assistance in arranging this interview. And it's interesting, Joe, because this um, this whole this whole uh, exposure has Oh, as some overlap in this case with the Vegas shooting, because Kaya Jones on the night of the Vegas shooting was performing at the Harvest ninety one festival when the shooting took place. And, and you know, there are moments in time, I believe, when something strikes you and you say, "You know something? I I just can't I I can't risk it any longer. I've got to." I've got to basically tell everything I know. I've got to come forward as as ugly as it is. Uh, 
And, uh, and, and that was one of the historical hinge moments in the life of Kaya Jones. By the way, she's busy recording right now in a Nashville studio where she, she'll be coming at us from her recording uh, session at, in Nashville. So we're waiting on that. Eric the Tech is, is uh, uh, working on that. But her recent mir- uh, media appearances include the Sean Hannity Show, Us Magazine, and of course, she was on the war room with uh, Owen Schroyer and um, Stefan Molyneux on for, uh, Freedom Main Radio, and also Infowars with Alex Jones. So all of those platforms, she was she's been on. And uh, again, we're waiting on on contact with her. But uh, it's um, Kaya Jones just kind of in the in the interim here. She defended, she had called the Pussycat Dolls a prostitution ring in an exclusive interview. Now think about that. Frankly, I don't, I, I don't know of the group or of Kaya Jones, but I know that she was a huge sensation, a huge celebrity. It is, I shouldn't say was. But uh, she's 33 now and she's been speaking out uh, many accusations on um, on what's been going on behind the scenes in the in- entertainment industry. And this is all coming now to fruition, isn't it? We're, we're seeing, we're seeing the exposure of this dark side of Hollywood, of the in- entertainment industry, of, of so many things. We're, we're seeing the exposure of, of the perverts in Congress. Um, that's coming. Everything seems to be kind of, coming out now and I find it I find it interesting that people still say you know Pizzagate that 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 was that that was just nothing but a conspiracy theory or there's no basis there's no information to back that up pedogate I can understand because Pizzagate is improperly named I believe so you have that you you've got uh, but but i just find it extremely disingenuous especially by the uh by the progressive media to 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 deny the existence of of these pedophilia type operations and you know since donald trump has assumed office that um um that that, that uh there have been many as a matter of fact, there was a, a recent, uh, there was a recent, uh, um, I apologize for that, uh, we, uh, are usually turn the studio right. bat phones off. But, 13, she was discovered by R. Kelly and signed to his record label for development as an emerging talent. Now, by the age of 16, she's a great success story. She signed with Capitol Records, and in 2003, she auditioned and was selected to the Pussycat Dolls. After being in, inducted into the girl group, she went under the tutelage of famed music, uh, music producer Jimmy Levine. Together with the group, they made a live television or made a live television uh, performances on Fashion Rock's 2004 show and VH1 Divas Live, performing their version of Tainted Love alongside Mark Almond. And she left the group in 2005. And, and she's an, a sensation right now. She's a wonderful, tremendous young lady. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to turn it over to you, Joe, to to bring her on. Yeah, we have we have her with us. 
and we're going to bring her on right now. Uh, Kaya Jones, welcome to the show. I'm sorry about that. You guys actually called my manager's phone, so she's downstairs enjoying uh, our Nashville friends that are so kind to put us up. So um, I was waiting on my phone in a, in a safe space, so I apologize for any of your listeners that heard all of that about kids. No worries, and we thank you for taking. Uh, we are blessed. We're, we're thank you for taking your time out of your busy recording schedule, and we really appreciate your gift of time to us. Uh, you've got you've got one heck of a story to tell, and uh, uh, my daughter, who by the way is is a great fan of yours, is in studio. Oh, and my daughter says, make sure you tell her that she loves your hair. So there you have it. Um. Joe and, and Kai, where do you want to start, Kai, with uh, with your story? You've been on a number of uh, interviews, Sean Hannity, Alex Jones, other platforms. Where do you want to start? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think that a good place to start is coming out, you know, as a Trump supporter and as a conservative, and definitely uh, finding my footing with uh, my political narrative and um, sharing it on my Twitter and that turning into opportunities with Fox and Sean Hannity is such an incredible human being and so smart and poignant and uh, giving me a platform and a voice and same with Fox so I've just been lucky that I've been able to keep talking about what I think our country needs to hear and a lot of what I think they feel you know and just kind of telling them that you know they're not crazy that it's, it's normal to love God it's normal to support your military, to support your country, to stand for the flag, for the anthem. And, um, yeah, I'm just now, of course, with everything coming out in entertainment about the sexual abuse and also the pedophilia, it's really important that, you know, voices are heard. And that's a big reason why I left the Pussycat Dolls. But, you know, when I talked about it before, no one wanted to hear me. And I think it was nothing before its time. You know, it just wasn't time. Okay, and yeah, I, I just want to say this. Uh, I, I and I, I promised my wife I'd never mention this again, but I, I'm going to break my promise. You know, I I I, uh, I was featured, I was interviewed for the Rolling Stone magazine. Okay, uh, in in April, and uh, that that uh, feature piece just came out in Rolling Stone last week. That that uh, I was just misrepresented, and and we were talking about the very issue. Uh, that, that you're referencing about the existence of, of pedigate, about the existence of pedophilia. And of course, uh, I was, I was painted as a lunatic for even uh, saying that, that it exists. So I, I kind of feel the, the pain there. So I'm doubling down, uh, now and saying, look, it does exist. And, and here you are coming out. Uh, why did you, with a successful career that you had, what, what was the, what was the impetus for you, you coming out and exposing all of this? Well, um, I didn't realize that I was going to be just exposing all of it. I, I, I thought it was something that was public knowledge. I mean, we've heard about things that have gone on, you know, back in the day, even with the film uh, studios and the film stars. Um, the casting couch has always been something that's been made as a joke, even comedians. So I guess I didn't think that it was something that was going to be that... Uh, Profound. Um, I think finally people are listening, which is awesome. We need people to listen, but um, it's the truth. You know, I no longer want to be misrepresented and also pushing a narrative that's not who I am as an artist, who I am as a human being. Um, I've planted both my feet with God, and my music is reflecting that now. And 
it's taken me a long time to get here. You know, it's taken many years of realizing that even though I left the Pussycat Dolls, I still wasn't walking with God or living with Him in the way that I needed to. And so it just felt right to tell the truth and to support other young women and young men in this world that are going through it. I mean, it's going on in homes across the world. This isn't just in the entertainment business, but it, it is very serious in the entertainment business. And we have a Stafford of old and people look to us as iconic or, you know, in a way, narrating what could be what they want to become. And so there is a, there is a, a high level of um, regard and discipline that I think we all need to take accountability and action for um, that, is, that is very real. And uh, if we don't talk about it and we just continue to let it happen, then we're being complicit to the young you know, artists that are to come in the future, uh, we, we have to pave a good way for them. Absolutely. And, Kai, I want to do this, if we can. I want to start in Las Vegas, because I didn't know this until just before the show, that you performed at the Route 91 Harvest Festival on the day that the mass shooting took place? Yes, yeah, so I actually was invited up by John Rich and Big Kenny, you know, their friends, and uh, they just asked, hey, do you want to come up on stage? We do a God Bless America, Everyone Sings, and you do so much for our military. It would be really cool for you to be the honorary bartender that does, like, you know, the pouring of the drinks, we salute to the military, we sing God Bless America as a whole band, and um, invite these veterans up on stage. So I just happened to be um, a part of that moment on stage with the band uh, an hour before the shooting. Were you still there when the, the shooting broke out? We, we Our tour bus pulled out 10 minutes after, 10 minutes before the shooting started. So we were about a half a mile to a mile down the road, and um, we had just gotten out of the bus, and the guys had jumped up on us on stage to do a, a fast show at the uh, Redneck Riviera, which is John Rich's uh, bar over there. And as soon as they got on stage, I was tapped on the shoulder and told that there was an active shooter where we just were. Um, of course, reaching out to friends that were still at venue, DJ Silver, a good friend who uh, introduced Al Dean. And, um, yeah, that was intense to, to worry about everyone that we knew that was still there. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. And uh, I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, we still have no real answers as to why this happened and, and so many questions are unanswered with that. And, uh, and, and, well, thank God that you were, you guys were able to, to leave there before that happened as that, um, is still something that, that the American public has not, does not know about why this happened and it's very frustrating to many. Uh, we still get emails about it, so. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, Vegas is my hometown. So, oh. um, yeah, so that's, that's my hometown. That's where I was raised. Uh, majority of my life, you know, from I was about six years old, we moved there. So I, I it's, it's a very special place in my heart. My family still has homes there, and I still have a place there, and I go back and forth all the time. But it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard to understand what happened. We don't know what happened. Um, I think that the FBI is trying to still piece a lot of things together. Um, but you know, it's a lot to take in. It was a, it's a huge festival. So I know that they were still doing a lot of investigating. I don't think they're done with their work. I just think that unfortunately we don't have all the facts. And when we don't have all the facts and we only know 20%, we start to speculate. And that comes into all these theories. 
Not to say that all of them or any of them may not be true. I don't know. I think we just have to wait and see what happens. But it's very unsettling for everyone in Nevada. I'm not the only one. You guys are not the only one. America is the only one. We all, we all are very concerned, and, and we hope to get answers soon. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, Kai, I want to take this conversation back to you and your your start in the music industry. Um, it says here that you were 13 years old when you were discovered by R. Kelly, and R. Kelly is no secret, um, or no stranger. I'm sorry, no stranger to uh, weird sexual uh, allegations and and uh, with underage women. And apparently now, I read an article a few months ago about some kind of sex cult he has, where he you know he, he has complete control of these women, their communications with their family, what they eat, what they wear. It sounded crazy. What was your experience with R. Kelly? And and um, tell us about that. Well, I think that's the thing is that, you know, I've gotten a lot of slack when speaking about uh, what I went through in the Pussycat Dolls because I did not uh, witness anything with him. He was very professional with me. I was also very, very young. Um, so, you know, no, I didn't see anything weird with him. He was always very disciplined. He was always very thorough and uh, very professional. I never, ever had any instances with him that were odd or peculiar or, if anything, he was a drill sergeant when it came to music. Um, I was always in a lot of, you know, trouble when it came time to singing and making sure I was disciplined. I was eating correctly, um, working hard on the music, uh, constantly giving me different techniques and things to get better. So he was so military with me. Um, I was very shocked when I heard the allegations that this come forward. I didn't see anything at all. Not to say that it didn't occur, but if it did, it didn't happen while I was there, or they kept it really from me because I was so well protected with managers and advisors. I had a entire team of people around me at a very, very young age. Um, due to the fact of Aaliyah dying and 9-11 happening, um, all of his artists kind of got put on hold. So my career basically got put on the shelf, um, and he wanted to just basically wait until he was ready to release me, um, which is why nothing came of that opportunity, because there's a lot of good songs, a lot of hard work, but 9-11 really just shocked all of America, and, and for the music industry especially, any artists that weren't ready to be put out, and I was in development, I was in the middle of my you know, serious development. Um, yeah, I just, I, my career ended up being stalled, and um, that then led me to capital and going through all of that and then led me to the dolls. But I, I can't say that I saw anything what, whatsoever with him. He was very professional. Okay. So at 13 years old, you're, you're in the, the music industry. You have um, talented music uh, executives and uh, entertainers working with you. And as you said, you, you were brought into the, the group, uh, the Pussycat Dolls. What's the first experience you have with, uh, well, I guess, a sexual predator? Um, well, I, I mean, I was abused as a child, so I was aware of what abuse was. My family was very encouraging and very helpful in keeping me away from that individual, but um, so I went through abuse very young. I understood what abuse was. Uh, there was no confusion on that part. When I was about I would say 16, 17, going into capital, 
mean, you work with producers that start the flirtatious stuff that's very uncomfortable. It was once I was in the Pussycat Dolls, um, there's a lot of uncomfortable situations. And being taken to homes of executives to uh, being jumped on in a limo after a show performance by an executive. So uh, it just, it, each time was different. Or you'd be taken home in a, a car and uh, or taken to an, an event in a car and then, of course, the car is not available. So so-and-so is going to drive you home. And um, you have to deal with that all over again, being uh, propositioned. Um, and it just got tiresome and it got old for me because I had never encountered that within music. I encountered flirtation, never encountered weird behavior, like I said with R. Kelly. I mean, I was very young when I got signed, and everyone was really professional with me. Had I not come from that, where I knew that I had the ability as an artist, as a singer, to really do this as a job, maybe it would have sounded like something I could have resorted to, but I never had dealt with that, so it was very shocking um, to be propositioned, and uh, some of the things that were said were very um, very intense for me being 18 at the time when it started. Um, and then that perpetually led me to, you know, being with a, a predator himself, you know, Nick Carter, um, who, who also... Uh, has allegations that have come out. Um, I don't disbelieve the women due to the fact that um, the way he was with me in the relationship. So uh, there are things that he would do that were very calculated and uh, n- not normal, nor would I suggest that they were uh, anything but um, predator-like and result of why I left that relationship. But not knowing better at that point, I'd been so attacked with the dolls and being controlled what we ate, what we wore, what we sang, what we said, how our hair looked, uh, you know, um, and controlled. And so that led me to an abusive relationship and then in an, another abusive relationship. So that's why now it's so important for me to, to share with young women that we did our self-esteem and that you need to know what abuse is, and it comes in many forms. It's not just physical. It's not just emotional or verbal. It could be sexual as well. So, you know, there's there's many levels of abuse, and when you know what it is, um, it better services you to protect yourself from constantly being the victim. You, you know, uh, Ms. Jones, I, I believe that this is so important for people to understand. And I think you made you, you made a great point. You came out of abuse. You you recognized. You knew what it was, what it looked like, what it felt like, what it was to experience it. Then went into the entertainment industry with that recognition or ability to recognize. Uh, and, and then, of course, you experienced that at various times. Subsequent to, uh, it's my understanding. Subsequent to your your um, induction into the all girl group, uh, is that kind of correct? Uh, am I correct in that? Yeah, no. I mean, I I did understand what it was. So by the time it went on in the dolls, I was very confused. But my self esteem was, you know, it was horrible. I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think that I. Uh, I thought that if I had done more, if I had been one of those women to leap my way up the ladder, my career would have done better for it, and I just had to hold tight to my convictions, and God was always in my life. I wasn't 100% walking with him every day. I think, you know, every day we, we try our best to, to walk right with him, but 
I, I struggled, you know, and, and at that time, all I could think was, he's telling me that this is wrong, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working for the devil. I felt like I was working for a horrible group of people that were controlling us and manipulating the women and forcing us to not believe in ourselves, and everyone had an eating disorder or drug addiction or, uh, you know, bad, bad self-esteem. And it starts to make you think that you're not pretty enough, thin enough, good enough, you can't do anything well enough, so that then you let predators in. So I then let these predators into my life that I ended up dating because, oh, yeah. So that's the thing is I actually was better when I got into the group than when I left the group because by that point it was three years of manipulation in the mind and in your spirit where – you get, you know, I was dating Nick Carter at the time. I told him what I was going through, and he didn't take me seriously. Um, or, oh. or he, or of course, now I know why he might not have, you know. Um, but that that led me to let other predators in, and then the, the guy I dated after Nick Carter he specifically beat me. Um, so I've gone through all the forms of abuse, and through therapy, and through God, and through the church, and through Bible, and all of that stuff has been able to now understand levels of abuse, but it's taken a long time. I mean, I'm still working on it. Sure, and, and it's it's great to hear the uh, the impact that your faith had and still has uh, on your life. And and I find it amazing that many people uh, who just watch your performances or see you on television don't really understand the. the Hell that that you've gone through, and it's, it really can't be overstated. Um, but yet you've prevailed through all of this. And again, I I, I look at your your faith in God as as um, as a guiding factor, and of course your your values. So this is essentially how you've navigated through this maze of perversity. Is that right? Yeah, well, through my whole life, I mean, you know, my 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 family setting wasn't perfect, you know. Um, everyone kind of knew everything that I have gone through. I mean, it, it's a lot. The entertainment business has been one side, but then, you know, being abused as a child by a cousin, um, you know, having my father, who's Native American, who grew up on a reservation, who suffers from mental illness, and going through all of that uh, health stuff. You know, the natives, they took the long walk due to abuse on the reservation. Um, you know, losing him really young. Um, having a single mom who didn't have a lot of money, did the best that she could to raise three girls. You know, my grandma being a big part of that, losing her when I was uh, 14. Um, you know, the man that ended up raising me that was the best thing in my life that came in as a strong father figure. You know, him going to prison when I was... 12 years old um, there's a lot of pain so I if if I didn't have God I mean I wouldn't be alive today I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be who, who I am or where I am um, which is why I hate excuses because you can talk about all the things that you go through and this is why I'm this way and this is why I do this and you know there's no excuse at the end of the day I, I come from a broken family you know, definitely not a perfect cookie cutter, all American, you know, 
situation. It, it definitely was all American, but definitely wasn't cookie cutter. It was hard and rough and scary, and had to fight my way into an industry that was even harder than what I come from. So it just, to me, it makes it clear that you know we don't use excuses, and with God you can do anything and everything. And I mean, I I feel like I'm a testimony to that because he's moved through my life and kept me on track. I don't have drug problems. I never have. I don't have drinking problems. I never have. Uh, the only thing I think I've ever struggled with is smoking cigarettes from time to time. That has been something that through my life I've had a struggle with. But other than that, um, and picking that habit, you know, it it's really not, there's no excuse. I just don't find excuses for things. And I think we become weak-minded in the, in the aspect of saying, well, I have to lean on something because of my pain. There's no reason to lean on anything but God. With him, you can do all things. So if you put your cares in him, it does sound like I've gone through a lot because I have. Definitely now with getting ISIS death threats and the shooting that happened and speaking out about the the industry that I, I know well and seeing all of the hurt and pain and abuse and that. But, you know, what, what do we do with it other than keep walking through the fire? And I think that's maybe why I'm not affected is that as much as it's a lot of stuff, um, He's caring for me, so it doesn't feel that way. You, you know, many, uh, and I'm so I'm so glad to hear you talk like this. There are many young women, uh, young girls, many people who look up to you as this icon, um, and to hear you ex- is so refreshing for a celebrity, for an entertainer, for someone in your position. I'm I'm absolutely impressed, and I've got to tell you, um, I'd be proud to call you my daughter. I've got a daughter about your age, and and I'll tell you, you know, so thank you for being who you are and explaining, you know, what you've gone through. Um, it's it's refreshing, especially in today's environment, to hear that you're not a professional, despite everything, you're not a professional victim, are you? I mean, we, we can all, we all have a story. Everybody has a story. Everybody has something that's not right that they've endured, whether it's childhood or their work or their marriage or their parents. I mean, everybody, everybody has a story. Um, you know, that's why we can't judge. But that's also why we can't play victim to our circumstances because, um, that's just falling into the lie of because I'm going through this and that means that I should be dealing with this. I mean, you know, my, my father's in the hospital today and, um, I was recording today and working through the day. I'll be talking to family later tonight and it just, you have to keep moving. You know, you have to keep moving and you have to also have peace in your heart and also have to know that at the end of the day, what's God's will is God's will. Stay in prayer about things. That's the best thing I can do for my dad right now is not actually um, call my grandmother and stress her out even more than what she's texting me and emailing me and going back and forth on is just stay in prayer. So that's the real way that I can help him is to stay in prayer. And every somebody today took their last breath. Many people took their last breath. That they lost their parent today or their grandparent today or their best friend or their child. And, you know, we still have to get up tomorrow. We still have to keep going. It's part of life. Um, life is pain, and I think I've been really 
lucky with God teaching me that that pain is, is sometimes not a bad thing. It, it, it actually can make you stronger if you come through it. So I'm lucky that I feel that he's really shown me that, you know what, pain is a part of life, but how you deal with it, not not what was done to you, but what you do with what was done to you. You know, what do you do with it now? Um, which is why music is so important to me and creating is so important to me. It's my way of um, releasing all of my pain and I have a lot. So. <laughs> well, this is a good segue. If you don't mind, let's let's have a shameless plug for what you're working on right now. And again, you if can you follow her on Twitter at Kaya Jones. Yeah. The website is kayajones.com. Yeah. If you don't mind, just tell our audience uh, who's just dying to know about this what what you your next release, what you're working on now. Um, and, and I apologize if, if uh, you know. If, uh, unscripted question here but I people like to know what's uh um well I'm I'm in Nashville I'm I'm working with a lot of really really incredible writers um but Jay DeMarcus from Rascal Flats is producing some stuff for me and uh you know talking to Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins and um you know John Rich is a good friend so we were talking to him about what we could do together but right now me and Jay are are uh, writing uh, writing with some spotlight writers. And I, I just did a, a song today, I finished it, which is a duet that will be with, um, Jason Crab. And, uh, he's from the, uh, Crab family. So I don't know if you guys know the gospel family, but, uh, right. very predominantly gifted family he comes from. And, um, yeah, we, I, he just, uh, asked me to do a song and I heard it yesterday and I, I learned some of it last night and, because they only were giving me snippets of what you know we we're gonna do, and then I went in today and turned out to be the full record. So um, I hope everyone enjoys that. That that we finished. It. So, uh, so yeah, I'm lucky. I mean, you know, Jada Marcus, Rascal Flatts. I mean, they're just literally legends. So so gifted. Um, but I have some really strong strong musicians behind me that believe in me and um, have taken a chance on me. I'm just really honored. That's fantastic. It's good. It's good to know. Again, it's good to know uh, to to see you at this point. Um, and you deserve through your hard work. You deserve, to, I believe, to be elevated uh, um, as a as a heroine. Uh, you know, as, as someone who really has gone through what you've gone through, and now you know you're you're at a point where. You're continuing forward. Um, what an incredible story! I'm still going through it. To, yeah, to degree. yeah, of course. And, Go ahead. And I, I just want to get into this a little bit. Um, on October 13th, I believe that was the day that you started posting to Twitter, um, making public uh, a lot of the the claims that have been circulating in the news recently, and you received some a lot of pushback yeah. from your former band members and and the manager. Can you talk a little bit about what you felt when 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 you saw the the people saying, you know, that you're you're making this up or whatever their claims were, they did not agree with you and they wouldn't substantiate your claims. But um, how did that feel when when you started yeah. to see their responses? Yeah, uh, not surprised. Um, on October eighth, there was a press release, and you guys could find it actually uh, in Cosmopolitan on October eighth. The Pussycat Dolls had released a statement to Cosmopolitan that they were doing a reunion of the girls 
and there in black and white my name on the 8th of October. Well, that was seven days after the worst mass shooting in American history, which I happened to be there before it took place. And then because of Fox and Sean Hannity doing, um, you know, some co-host work and going on to Fox and Friends and, you know, um, all the different channels to, to really help uh, tell the story of, of what I was moving into as a political commentator, not just the fact that I was attending. Um, so they were using my name on the 8th because of the 58 people that died. When I saw that on the 8th of October, I got so mad because there was no reason for them to use my name in the press release. Um, you know, as you can see on the 15th, 16th, I was never even in the group, right? So why would you use my name on the 8th as a member of the group in a reunion when you had none of my consent? I had never agreed to any of that. It took me a long time to get away from that establishment. And, um, yeah, I wanted to tell the truth at that point, so that's why I started tweeting. So was I surprised that they were going to lie? Um, the girls are not lying. The girls never released that statement. And I know that for a fact because we can actually pull tape. If you look upon one of the girls has done an interview since they left the group talking about abuse, talking about controlling behavior, um, what war was controlled, or their eating disorders, or there was more going on in the group than what it could seem. So each of the girls have actually given their own statement, to which I posted those videos and said, are they retracting these statements now, seeing as the press release is written by the same two people? Robin's press release is identical, virtually, the Pussycat Doll press release, um, both talking about, you know, I mentioned about um, Simone, uh, who was in a former group of uh, Robin, uh, her committing suicide, I mentioned that, and then Robin's statement says, when suicide is a real issue, and the Pussycat Dolls in the end of their statement says, well, when abuse is the real issue, written by the same people, it's called journalism, and you can always tell, um, so I wasn't surprised. Uh, I don't really care because it's the truth. When all of the girls come out, everyone will know that I'm not lying. I have no reason to lie. In yeah. fact, it doesn't me to say I was treated like crap and we were uh, sexually, you know, uh, preyed upon, and uh, I had an eating disorder, and I went into then a horrible abusive relationship after that. I mean, it doesn't really make me look better. Um, so I have no reason to lie. I don't lie to begin with. So it doesn't really matter what people can think or not think. I kept a journal. I haven't even brought up the dirt, the real like dirt. I have just said the tip of what I think needs to be said to help women get some strength in order to feel empowered. I don't need to live there. I already lived it. Um, so I wasn't surprised. But, um, you know, yeah, I got a lot of backlash. and. Every yeah. day more people come out and, um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm proud though because, you know, this is what it takes. It's, it, sometimes you gotta stand alone if you're gonna tell the truth and lead and part of it, but no, I'm not surprised at all. Kaya, I wanna ask you this. I know you, you kinda touched on it earlier and you just mentioned it again. You know, you, we have one of the things that, uh, that has been made public is the physical abuse, but something else that you've been touching on is the, the psychological verbal and mental abuse that uh, apparently is much more widespread um you know in the entertainment industry than we know 
you you said that you know you were told what what you should and shouldn't eat, what to wear, um, and it was a highly controlled environment. Do you believe that the the uh, girls who who continued in the band, who continued to go through that type of control, maybe are um, have become conditioned and, and even dare I say brainwashed to a certain degree to protect the hand that feeds them? I mean, I watched all of us endure the abuse. It wasn't just me. Not my abuse to share. I'm not going to, you know, put everyone's business out there. But uh, Melody went through abuse, and Nicole went through abuse, and all of them went through abuse. And they're all beautiful women. They're all good, strong, empowered women that I pray for every day. I hope that they gain the strength that they need. Um, I think they now know who I am better now today. I'm sure back then they thought I hated them or I thought I was better than them or, um, no, I just, I thought we were all better. I thought we deserved better. I still do. Um, yeah, I, I, I know that they're going to come out with their truth eventually. And when they do, everyone will know I'm not lying. And it may be two years from now, two months, or it could be 20 years. Um, but everyone will remember this conversation, you know, this it's it's sad that uh, you know. And another thing is, a lot of them haven't had the opportunities that I've had, where I've I've had to work hard at starting a record company, going into EDM, learning to DJ. Now I'm transitioning into Christian and gospel music because my life is taking me there cathartically. I'm now here in in my journey, um, and political commentary is a part of my journey too, and speaking out for. Christian rights and persecution. Um, so I'm lucky. A lot of the girls don't have that opportunity where this is their only option is to go back into the group and to do another album. And um, yeah, that's how they're stuck where they are. But you know, you've, again, you got to fight your way through it. I think the day that they come out and they really tell young women what they've gone through and why they're really trying to empower young women now, that's when their numbers will shoot through the roof because they'll be honest and people can see the honesty. But if they come back out and pretend that they're this, you know, strong sisterhood of women that adore each other when that's not the case, they were clawing each other, you know, tooth and nail backstage all the time, um, then that's false. And I think, uh, I think fans can smell it a mile away. So, you know, it'll exactly. Yeah, and I just want to say, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you are a, a tremendous, you are an example of, uh, what people in the entertainment industry should be, what, but even more than that, you're an example of a survivor, a true survivor, and someone to emulate, uh, in my view, just listening to you, not really, uh, I, believe me, I, I, not knowing your story, now hearing what you've said, I, I just have the utmost respect for you, and, and, and it, it just means a lot. Now when my daughter says, hey, I love her music, um, I, I can say I, I, I certainly love the, uh, love your, um, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say spunk, but, uh, you're, you're, uh, uh, just the way you handle yourself, have handled yourself, um, your, uh, just your morality and how you've handled, well, just how you've handled things. I know, Joe, you, you had a question. Go ahead. I, I didn't, I mean to over talk you there. 
Yeah, just wanted to, uh, I got, we got a few more questions. Uh, Corey Feldman, we know that you worked together with him on a song or an album. We, we plan on having him on in the near future. Um, what do you think about, about his story? Corey, I've known since I was 17. Uh, okay, wow. Yeah, Corey is a tremendous soul. He's gotten a lot of flack. Uh, he's also gone through a lot. Um, he has not had it easy. People have made it really hard for him to tell the truth, to get his word out there. Um, but, you know, his life was never normal. I mean, he was famous before he could walk. I mean, he was already a, you know, he was a baby actor into a child actor into a teen actor and heartthrob into an adult actor and musician. He has gone through all forms of abuse. If you read his book, uh, from his parents to uh, relationships, few abusers. I think he's even had to find his way of trying to not become that. Um, but he's a good soul. And, uh, and you know, we've even, you know, when I started talking about Trump and God, I he asked me to perform with him, and I said I couldn't. And it broke my heart to say that that day because um, the song's called Forbidden Attraction we had done together. We have never, ever dated. We've been really, really good friends, but a lot of people have made that Connotation and joke because we've been good friends, and um, we thought, well, let's you know do a song that was kind of you know titillating and you know a little cheeky, forbidden attraction. And where I was just kind of going musically, I didn't feel that I could perform this with him, and that my fans would hold me accountable. And so um, that was a hard day to say to my friend that I don't agree with the song I recorded three years ago with you, but um, but I still support you. And so. I'm proud of him for coming forward. I'm so proud of him for talking and sharing with his pain. I think um, I think a lot of people are going to be affected in a positive way when he starts to talk more. And, uh, you know, him, like myself, we get death threats every day for talking about it. Um, so prayers are always important from people because it's scary when you constantly get death threats all the time. It makes you feel like, you know, am I, am I going to get the chance to keep talking or am I going to be shut up with what I'm saying? So, uh, so I just always pray for him. He's like a brother to me. So I'm very proud of him. Yeah. And we, we pray for him too. And it's a heartbreaking story as all, all of these are. But as you just pointed out, his seems more so because of what he went through from a, an infant all the way up until today, what he's still going through and, um, never really being able to, as you said, uh, to get it all out there to, to share what was really going on and all the different people and, and ways that he was preyed upon. I think as you just said, it would, it will be beneficial to many people when he is able to get that story out, when he does get that story out. We know you got a, a busy schedule and you got to get back to recording. Just a few more questions. I would like to get your personal take on these, what's going on with the NFL and the NFL protests. Because I know you have uh, something very special that you do with veterans and the, and the national anthem. But first, what what do you think about these protests in the NFL? Oh, there, there's. I mean, I want to cuss if you really want to know. I feel right. <laughs> no, I, I know. I, I I feel the same. Uh, yeah, it makes me beyond upset. I think it's a joke, to be quite honest. Um, in a community, it's the one place that 
sees no color free to religion, it's sports. And that's the one thing kind of like science that we all kind of can learn from, agree to, disagree, and get together and see what, you know, great talented people can do. It's something that brings communities together and they've used it to tear communities apart. It's very upsetting to see millionaires taking a knee. Most of these shootings and these, um, you know, these inner city incidents of losing young African Americans or white or Hispanic or what have you in the inner cities, these shootings take place between 8 and 11 p.m. Most rec centers close after 5 or 6 p.m. ish in that time frame. If, you know, you really want to make a difference, Take some of those millions of dollars and help your community. Keep some rec centers open. You will save lives. Those kids won't be on the street causing trouble. When a police officer is approaching a young kid or a car or any predator, when he's on the job, he's at a level orange. I think a lot of people don't understand how the levels work. A level white is you're relaxed, you're in your home. Level yellow is there's, you know, there might be a threat, so you're looking around. A yellow orange is you know that there may more than likely be a situation. So by the time you get to red, which is there is a situation, and then black, you're in the situation. And these are the color spectrums of the OODA loop when you talk about law enforcement. Also, when you get your CCW, you have to learn these colors to understand. If a police officer stops you, the first thing he does is when he's walking over to you, hands are near his gun or it's on his gun. Meaning if he draws his gun at a yellow or, or an orange, he's probably going to use it. You should probably listen to everything that he said. I think people don't understand the kind of mentality our officers and our law enforcement have to deal with every day. Yeah. They're a heightened place. They're scared, too. They don't want to have to pull their weapon. They don't want to have to use their weapon. So to take this community-driven moment, turn it into a woe is me, and there's this, and there's that. I don't even know if they all know why they're kneeling, but I'm going to assume that it has to do with the inner cities and the shootings because that's what it feels like it might have to do with. But again, I'm not sure because they all have their own version of what they think it is. It's the most disrespectful thing in our nation right now to see it glorify our flag and our anthem mean the world to me. My grandfather is buried in Arlington. I'm very proud that he served in our military. All of my father's side of the family served in our military. Most of my best friends serve in the military or their families do as well. People go to those games and they're gold star families or, you know, purple heart families um, or they're, you know, veterans. And to insult them when their friends or themselves have given a piece of themselves or their life for this country, freedom's not free. So you can take a knee and make a million dollars because we have men and women that are willing to run toward terror, run toward uh, people that don't like our country and what we stand for. There's ideology all over the planet, as you can see, that attacks daily. So it's just so offensive that they would use a community-driven space to divide. And then the NFL allowing it for two years and I love football. I love football. I cannot watch it now. I refuse. Um, and the NFL's seeing that in their numbers. I think they're losing 600 million this year. That's roughly what the numbers are. Um, it's only going to go down from there. 
Hockey's gone up because people stand for the anthem. Baseball's gone up. And you know what? Those are two great sports that have really been overshadowed by football. And so, um, you know, if those guys who get, you know, glorified money and paychecks and can't respect our veterans in the stands that make virtually nothing and uh, they're willing to fight dogs and beat women and kneel for the anthem and show disrespect and regard for the country, well, then hurt them where it hurts, you know. No more games. No more – that's not enough. A million dollars, you know. Okay. I mean, it's just a joke. Yeah, 100% of my proceeds go to our veterans. Yeah, what are you doing with the national anthem? Explain this to our audience a little bit so they can uh, Any, help you if they can. Yeah, no, national anthem, my national anthem, 100% of the proceeds, all of it, um, anytime you buy it on any channel that you buy it on, if you buy it on my uh, website or iTunes, it goes to Chris Pronto, who's a true American hero, um, you know, Benghazi, all of that, that man lived through, he lost brothers that night. Um, an incredible human being. He started a charity called 14th Hour, and uh, 100% of the proceeds go to Chris Pronto's foundation. And um, every year they're going to keep going either to him or to another foundation because it, it doesn't belong to me. That song has never belonged to me. It belongs to all Americans, and um, it belongs to the people willing to fight and die for my freedom. Um, and if that's all I can do, you know, each year for them, I'm going to do a lot more. But we all need to do a little bit, and so that's a good start of just saying thank you, you know. And I do shows all the time, and when you do the anthem, it's, you don't get paid for it. It's, it's, it's for the country. So um, it felt right that if anyone was going to buy that, it should go right back to the people that serve it. Well, that uh, that that is awesome what you're doing, and you know we see so many people, as you said, the the disrespectful uh, protests this. Uh, uh, this disdain and, and hatred for America, and it's always great to see when people are standing up for the first responders, for the veterans, for the police officers uh, who are risking their lives every day so that we can continue to have freedom, and it's just great to see. And thank you for, for helping the, the veterans and, and for shining a spotlight on this issue. Again, folks, follow Kaya Jones on Twitter, at Kaya Jones. And her website is kayajones.com. That's K-A-Y-A jones.com. And we, we want to thank Patricia Passaretti. Uh, thank her as well for arranging this, uh, interview. Thank you so much. And, and Kaya, you're such a, a lovely young lady and, uh, an inspiration to, to many. And, and really our thanks go to you. Um, following you on Twitter, some of the most, uh, some of the greatest inspiring quotes uh, on Twitter from you. So thank you for that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Keep doing what you're doing, shining the light, because we have a lot going on with illegal immigration and Kate Steinley and all oh, of this yes. stuff. And General Flynn, you know, all of that stuff. So keep it, doing what you're doing. We will, and you do as well. And, and thank you for, again, thank you for the... Um, uh, the, the gift of time. I know your schedule is very busy and we really appreciate it, but uh, you're welcome back anytime. And, uh, any issue from Kate Steinley to, uh, to the, uh, to, to the wall, to President Trump, to Michael Flynn, your input is always welcome. But God bless you. Thank you so much. All of it and tell your daughter thank you so much for being a fan of the cinema music. I will, I will do that. Thank you. All right. 
God bless. Folks, that was, uh, Kaya Jones. My goodness. What a, what a great interview. And Joe, thanks for, thanks for handling that. I was, you know, it's, it's something when you're looking at, at the notes, doesn't translate into the person sometimes. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Oh yeah, you're right. And, and, uh, oh, man, I'll tell you, uh, well, what an inspiration to the young people out there. And, and Jackie just said, you know, uh, what did you say about, uh, tell her that she's a, she, she really is, is kind of a, a queen in terms of, uh, favorably, of course, you know, in terms of being an inspiration to young people. So that's really great. Well, it's always good to see people standing up for their principles rather than going with the flow and, and, you know, enriching themselves with the guaranteed money. Cause she walked yeah. away from what a $13 million contract. Yeah, I did so. that too, though. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, bah, bah. We only yeah. got a few minutes before the break here. I want to draw your attention to one interesting piece of news. I found that, uh, left me scratching my head. It was up, this story was from the 27th of November, but it was updated today out of our home state of Pennsylvania from Philadelphia. A controversial bill would force business owners to take down bulletproof glass. And the reason I want to highlight this story, cause we, this just is a perfect example of how the government is so controlling over local businesses and regulations to the point where they are removing safety measures, and I'm going to tell you why. And this is crazy. Yeah, please explain that to me. The controversial bill is currently working its way through City Hall designed to regulate stop-and-go liquor stores. As part of the bill would force business owners to take down bulletproof glass inside their stores, but at what cost to their safety? Broad Deli sits on the corner of the 2200 block of North Broad. Inside a wall of bulletproof glass separates customers from workers. The most important thing is safety. And the public safety owner, Richard Kim, said, The Kim family has run the deli, which sells soda, snacks, meals, and beer by the can for 20 years. He says the glass went up after a shooting and claims it saved his mother-in-law from a knife attack. Now he may be forced to take some of the barrier down. If the glass comes down, the crime rate will rise and there will be lots of dead bodies, he said. A bill moving through city council reads, No establishment shall erect or maintain a physical barrier. It's called the Stop and Go Bill and is being offered by City Councilwoman Cindy Bass. Right now, the plexiglass has to come down, she said. She wants to put some controls on these small stores that she says sell booze, very little food, and are the source of trouble in her district. Okay, walk me through the... Please walk me through this. You okay, lost I don't me. have much more you information on this, but uh, a number of store owners from... Uh, all cultures and walks of life uh, are, are planning to fight this and the uh, the store owners are are very angry with not only the way that uh, this councilwoman has uh, you know demonized these stores saying that they're the source of the trouble okay I don't know if you've ever been to areas in big cities in bad parts of towns and gas stations Never. where you go in there and there's a divider yeah. with the glass there yeah. and there's a drawer for the money and exchange of goods or services they're trying to bring these down, stating that it's a physical barrier and somehow a, dis- a form of discrimination against people. Yeah, but this I, just shows uh, the mentality of these people and what they want to control. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Peter Barry Chalka. Also, also, we're going to give a thank you to Judy and David, a few letters we received from people. I know we haven't been keeping up with the thank yous, but we are going to do that when we come back and have Peter Barry Chalka on. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. Live on Global Star Radio Network, I want to thank Global Star for airing us, as well as the fine folks at Blog Talk Radio, that's BTR, and uh, our two respective shows, mine, 9 to 10 in the morning, Joe and John, of course, 2 to 3. And uh, feedback appreciated, either show. Just simply send an email to studio at Hagman and Hagman.com. The previous hour, if you missed that, go back and listen to Kaya Jones, an incredible young lady, um, a member, the ex-Pussycat doll, uh, Pussycat Dolls. Uh, forgive me if I've gotten that incorrect. That's not my music genre, but nonetheless. Uh, but what, a, what an engaging story and, and what an uplifting, inspirational story that was. Now, speaking of inspirational, uplifting, and also informational, Peter Barry Chowka has, has contributed so much to the Hagman Report, and he's done a lot of investigative reporting. If you go back, if you go back and, and look at some of his early articles at American Thinker, if you just go to American Thinker and insert his name, uh, and by the way, I've gotten so many, Joe, we've gotten so many emails from uh, listeners who say I've got a new favorite guest Peter Barry Chowka and uh yeah. just uh, a so, lot of people like him. oh my goodness um yes but he's written a lot about his early articles a lot about the healthcare and now uh really the you know the news with the healthcare affordable care act has kind of taken a back seat but but his articles of late at Hagman report have really outlined the detailed the sole purpose, and I cannot echo this enough, that healthcare, it's not about the government helping you or making sure you're covered. Healthcare is not about healthcare. Newsflash. It's about control, whether it's the control of one-fifth or even greater of the U.S. economy or control over behavior, lifestyle, and choices. It's Marxism, socialism, communism. That's what it's really all about. And Peter Barry Chowka has done an excellent job in laying it all out. Please go to HagmanReport.com. His latest is up at HagmanReport.com. But also, don't forget to go back into American Thinker and look at, read some of the articles he had penned earlier, much earlier. And he's been on this for decades. In fact, he's been one of the first to call out, I believe, to call out single-payer healthcare for what it is, a mechanism of control. And he did so, and I echo that sentiment, and, and I, I don't think there's I can add much more than that. With that, welcome, Peter, to the program. Thank you, Doug. Thank you for that extensive and very nice introduction. And uh, I do appreciate your calling the attention of the audience to all of the articles of mine which are online and all available for free reading. There are more than a hundred of them at American Thinker, the vast majority written since May of this year, and I believe about 55 articles that I've done for the Hagman Report, uh, which are also online and uh, linked actually from the homepage of HagmanReport.com. So I, I would really encourage people to who are interested in what we talk about to really check out the articles because that's where I really am able to get into the detail. And uh, there's probably about uh, 150,000 words worth of material at American Thinker and um, at least 100,000 words that I've written for the Hagman Report. 
That's several books worth right there. It's all available for free reading. And, and I know that, that you're, I, I've got to tell the audience this, uh, because I, I really appreciate how you write. You, um, you struggle over your articles. When I say struggle, it's not a struggle of over making it just right, I suppose, and conveying the message. So you do a fine job, a great job, as a matter of fact. And I want to thank you for that. Um, thank you. you know. Thank you very so, much. So, yeah, several books worth, or several books worth of articles, and I would urge everyone to really bone up on what you've written about uh, but and we this is our treat this week. This is uh, the second time this week that you've been on on the show, and we're so grateful to have you. Now, um, single payer healthcare. Should we start there? Sure. Okay. Let, let's let's do that. By the way, uh, I'm glad you're joined by your your feline friend there. We appreciate that. And what, that's a yes. great painting too. I like that painting. That's actually a photograph. I'm I'm a photographer in addition to a writer. And uh, that's a photo I took of one of the two cats. Oh. And he's, act- he's actually appearing live, uh, sitting on the sofa behind me. Right. Uh, Lord, <laughs> there he is. looks like he's looking at his portrait. But, you know, you can have these uh, pictures made from a digital photo, and they look like a painting. But it's actually a photograph, and his name is Biggie. Biggie? He's about, about, he's about four years old, and Biggie, the camera, is in this direction, Biggie. Biggie. There, there we go. Wow, look at those eyes. He's, uh, he's an amazing cat. He he has a dog-like personality. He's very friendly, greets people who come to the house and has no fear. And our other feline, whose name is Lulu, slightly older than Biggie and also a rescue cat, who is also solid gray, she's very shy and she's asleep in another part of the room, but uh, it would be hard to lure her This is Biggie's um, premiere appearance today. There he goes. But I'm glad to see that he finally made it. All right. Biggie making the debut on the Hagman Report. Fantastic. And, of course, that's By the way, the reason that I chose to put the photo of Biggie up, the large photo, is uh, I've been told that several people commenting on the YouTube chat have have asked, oh, where's the cat photo? Because earlier on I had a photo of another of our cats, uh, now deceased, Ekaterina, the Russian blue. Right. Haven't had that photo up there lately, but I thought I'd go all out today with uh, the large photo of Biggie and his first live appearance. So I, I, well. I, I got to tell you, I was going to send you an email. I got I got one email uh, suspecting, and this is this is so funny. Uh, I thought originally it was in jest, but uh, this person was serious. Uh, sus- uh, suspecting that the placement of the feline, the cat pictures, were some sort of a covert signal you were sending out to people. So, uh, <laughs> to a secret cat cult out there. There you go. <laughs> to the Russians. <laughs> to the Russians. Actually, one of the ca- one of the cats we had once, we gave the name uh, Bastet. Uh, she's she was a uh, an Abyssinian cat, and they had their origins in uh, actually ancient Egypt. And there is there was a cult of Bast or Bastet in ancient Egypt because the Egyptians thousands of years ago worshipped cats. And uh, she still has a website, Bastet.net. But it's funny because I'll, I'll get uh, email sometime or page views to that for people looking for the cult of Bast. So people people wow. do worship cats out there. So yeah, 
Yeah. You'll find them indeed. Wow. Well, now, now that you've really brought the level of, of excitement of Lady the Studio Dog, uh, to, <laughs> to her, uh, uh, she, she's, at full awareness now. Um, yeah, settle down, lady. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's let's get into single-payer health care because you've written something that I believe is the definitive, definitive work to, to lay out the, the, the um, well, look, single-payer health care is communism. It's what it is. It's, it's all about control, isn't it? Right. Well, there were two articles I was able to put up at the Hagman Report, uh, I think this week or in the very... Uh, short period here. The first one was about single payer and socialized medicine. Actually, the second one is on the screen now, so maybe I'll start with that. Uh, the smoking gun, you know, proponents of government run health care or uh, Obamacare or the full bore one, single payer, which is full socialist, communist, state run medicine, they say, well, this is the only option left to us. Everything else has failed. The free market has failed. The prices are too high. The costs are going up. And people remain uncovered by health insurance. And they're dying in the streets, in effect, which is, of course, all spin and, and incorrect. So they say that we have to go the single-payer route. But, of course, uh, a single-payer, well, not only has it failed every place it's been tried in the Western world, but uh, I returned in this l- recent article, which went online, I think, yesterday at the Hagman Report, uh, to an expose I did uh, some years back, actually in uh, 2010. And it, it deserved to be resurrected in the light of now that we're closer than ever, apparently, to single payer, especially if the Democrats have regained control again, and they probably will in our lifetimes. And this occurred on... Uh, Right, the day after Obamacare was passed by the Congress, it was rammed through the Congress on a straight party line vote in March of 2010 after a lot of debate. And the Democrats had full control of Congress then, so they they pushed it through based on a pack of lies, basically. So critical in that passage uh, was the longest-serving member of Congress at that time, John Dingell, Jr., who was in his 80s then. At that point, he had been a representative in Congress for 55 years. He finally retired five years later after 60 years, and he was inheriting the seat from his father, John Dingell Sr., who was in there for 22 years, starting in uh, 1933, when FDR first became president. And now that Dingell Jr. has retired, his young wife has inherited the position. So incredibly... For the last 85 years, without interruption, a member of the Dingle family has represented that district of southwest, southeastern Michigan in the U.S. House of Representatives. So this character, John Dingle uh, Jr., uh, was given a lot of credit uh, for helping the passage of Obamacare because since day one, when he entered the Congress in 1955, he kept introducing legislation calling for government-run single-payer health care. And, of course, this got nowhere in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, until uh, Hillary Care was proposed under uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton in 1993. And thank God that failed. But Barack Hussein Obama... So 
the day after Obamacare was passed, John Dingell Jr. appeared on a radio station by telephone. He was in Washington. The radio station was in Detroit. And uh, he appeared for about 12 minutes live on, on a Detroit talk show. And if I had not uh, uh, been privy to reading about this in an obscure blog and tracking down the MP3 recording, the podcast of the show, it would have just uh, sunk without a trace because it's a small local program. He gave this interview and it would have been forgotten. Fortunately, I was able to find the MP3 and write an article for American Thinker, which appeared on March 24, 2010. And in it, I simply quoted the essential part of what Dingle had to say. And I'm just going to, it's a brief quote. I want to call it up on my screen here so I get it exactly. Um, okay, John Dingle said, let me remind you this has been going on for years. And by this, he meant Americans allegedly dying because of the lack of government-run universal health care which is a lie. I won't take the time to go into that, but that's fake news. He went on. We are bringing it to a halt. We are bringing that to a halt. People dying because they didn't have government-guaranteed health care through Obamacare. To continue, the harsh fact of the matter is when you're going to pass legislation that will cover 300 American people, there he misspoke, and he later admitted that. He meant to say, of course, 300 million American people. But this guy's kind of out of it, so he says 300 American people. Anyway, uh, to pass legislation that will cover 300 million American people in different ways, it takes a long time to do the necessary administrative steps that have to be taken to put the legislation together to control the people. To control the people. So there it was, the smoking gun, as I have termed it, one of the top Democrat leaders of the United States Congress who had been there almost forever, 55 years at that point, saying the purpose of Obamacare was to control the people, unquote. That was a direct quote, not edited, not chopped up or taken out of context. Well, fortunately, uh, my article in American Thinker was picked up by a variety of some of the top conservative websites at the time, all of them with credit to me, an American thinker, including Hot Air, which was Michelle Malkin's site at the time, uh, Gateway Pundit, Red State, the Heritage Foundation, the Washington Times, and Fox News. It was also picked up by Rush Limbaugh and Bill O'Reilly. The latter two did not give us credit, but that's okay. I'm not looking for credit. I'm just looking for the story, the news to get out. So Dingle's office later that very day, March 24th, the same day my article and these other articles went online, uh, his office issued a statement, which I was able to find uh, courtesy of archive.org. And I quote that in my article. I won't take the time to read the whole thing, but it's just ridiculous spin in which he tries to claim that when he said control the people, he actually meant uh We are going to end the deplorable practices of those who rescind the health insurance policies of people on gurneys heading into emergency rooms. I mean, you've got to read this to appreciate the lying, fake spin that these Democrats are capable of in trying to put over on us this complete nonsense because he was caught with his pants down in making that statement 
that were trying to control the people. And it reminded me of what uh, Jonathan Gruber, the MIT economist who was one of the chief architects of Obamacare, uh, said in a speech in 2014, I believe it was, and this was recorded and later put on YouTube, and he was caught with his pants down, so to speak, in which he said, to paraphrase, I quote this in my article, but to paraphrase, he said something like, we Democrats had to rely on the stupidity of the American voter in order to get Obamacare passed. So you you look at the statements of these characters who were basically the leaders of the Democrat Party uh, in, in getting this legislation going, and, I mean, they expose themselves. They do our work for us if we can only find uh, a ferret out what they've actually said and quote them accurately. So that's what single payer is all about. And of course now we have virtually every leading Democrat who wants to run for president against uh, Donald Trump in 2020. Every leading Democrat is signing on to the Democrat single payer plan that's been introduced by a socialist communist Bernie Sanders. And this would uh, actually end Obamacare, but it would make it even worse. It would mandate that everyone be part of a government-run health care plan. At, at, the current, as bad, at the current time, as bad as Obamacare is, you can actually still opt out of it if you want to pay the penalty, the uh, individual mandate, so-called the tax, to the IRS if you can't prove that you have Obamacare-endorsed overpriced insurance for conventional medicine coverage for the previous tax year, but you can still opt out of it. But if single-payer goes through, there won't be that option anymore. You're, you're going to be stuck yep. cradle to grave. So, uh, two questions, Peter, while I'm, while I'm thinking of this. Um, the, the, the Hillary Care back in 92, you've got an... an uh, you, I, I believe you got an eidetic memory, uh, but uh, the Hillary Care did they? Um, did that start off with the? Was that a single payer only proposal back in ninety? Whenever it was in the nineties, nine. No, it, it actually was introduced in nineteen ninety three. Bill okay. Clinton ran on that platform in ninety two. He was elected, took office in ninety three, and immediately after taking office, he appointed his wife Hillary Rodham Clinton as the head of the health care reform task force and it fell to her to have a number of secret meetings no transparency to concoct Hillary Care which was another 1000 plus page abomination and although they didn't call it single payer it was basically that uh, all Americans would have to have been part of it everyone would have received a government health care card with a special number on it and you would be cradle to grave covered. And what it also did was to criminalize any uh, pay-as-you-go concierge medicine. In other words, you wouldn't be able to go to a doctor or a healer or a clinician, pay that person cash for health care. Everybody would have to, every health provider would essentially have to be working for the government, reimbursed by the government and they could not get around that. So this was total Soviet-style medicine. But even if they pass single-payer now, you know, it's got a new name now. It sounds, you know, less harmful or less dangerous, single-payer, you know, groovy. It, it will evolve into the same thing where they'll have us 
between a rock and a hard place, and it, it will evolve into a draconian, uh, no opt-out method. But Hillary Care was absolutely horrendous, and it's interesting that in the 25 years that have passed since then, things have changed so much that, uh, well, Hillary Care never even got to a vote. It was so unpopular, even among the Democrats who controlled Congress at that point, that it was not brought up for a vote. And not only that, but in the next uh, congressional election in 1994, uh, for the first time in decades, the Republicans won both houses of, of Congress because, uh, uh, supposedly because the American voters were so disgruntled and fed up with the Clintons particularly because of the proposal of Hillary Care. So at that point, socialized medicine, government-run medicine was still very, very unpopular, as it had been since the days of the founding fathers. Well, in the last uh, two decades or so, the, the shadow government, the deep state, the globalists, uh, the New World Order, and the medical industrial complex and big pharma, all of them working together hand in glove. Oh, and we don't want to forget the media, too, because they've worked their magic at even remaking Obamacare. Obamacare, when it was passed into law in 2010 and then went fully into effect about four years later, was always unpopular. All of the polls taken found that a majority of Americans from 2010 until recently didn't like Obamacare. They didn't approve of it by uh, roughly two-to-one margins. It's only been in the last year or so since President Trump uh, took office and since the rise of, of uh, his Make America Great Again theme that the media and the powers that be have really doubled down and gone to work with their propaganda so that now the average American voter, apparently low-information voter, thinks that single-payer socialized medicine dusted off with a new, more palatable name, singer-payer, is the way to go. Well, and, and why wouldn't they think that? Because Obamacare has made the situation worse, and Obama himself promised it would get better. We Each family would save $2,000. We'd be able to keep our doctor, keep our health plan, all of them outrageous lies. In fact, chosen as the PolitiFact lie of the year, in, in 23, the collection of Obama's lies about Obamacare. So, of course, Obamacare has raised premium, premiums. A lot of people have had to pay the penalty uh, instead of getting health care. It's a mess, and a choice is being limited. And, and But why anybody would think that choice will be expanded and, and that the government bureaucracy getting involved would help the situation uh, it, you know, it's just not going to happen. But once again, we have to look at the news media with the only conduit of information for most people being the mainstream news media and they're getting, uh, one side of the story. We see how, I mean, this is a, this is a classic textbook example how when the echo chamber of the conventional mainstream news media goes to work on an issue as they have done on Obamacare and on single payer, they can sell it to the American people. It's, it's outrageous. But that is what's happening, and it's a it's a really amazing example mm. happening in real time. Any, any chance of an outright appeal or repeal? I, 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 as, as simple as that question is, I'm just curious. Any chance whatsoever of just a no no replace, just repeal and be done? Not with it? unless the only hope there 
and it may be a distant hope, but if somehow the Republicans, conservative-oriented Republicans, uh, Donald Trump supporters, could increase their majority in Congress next year in the congressional elections, there would be hope. Because right now the Republicans control Congress, but so many of them, like Susan Collins or John McCain, are rhinos mm. who, when the chips are down, they were afraid to or, or unwilling to vote for repeal and replace Obamacare when that vote came up several months ago. So it doesn't look like it's going to happen with this Congress. What we still can hope will happen is that under the current debate that's going on in Congress on the new uh, tax proposals, the tax cuts, uh, I believe that the drafts of that have the uh, repeal of the individual mandate. And that will certainly help because that, in my mind, is one of the worst elements of Obamacare. I mean, if you think about it, it's the first time in the history of the United States that the government, in effect, has been able to put a gun to your head and say, you have to buy this product or service, conventional, government-approved, expensive, overpriced medical health care for conventional medicine. It doesn't cover natural medicine or alternative medicine, the kinds of things millions of us are interested in. It covers only allopathic conventional medicine. And it's being enforced by the Internal Revenue Service. If you don't pay that fine, if you can't prove that you've had that um, that approved insurance in the previous 12 months, you have to pay a fine based on a percentage of your income. And there's a minimum. Even if you have no income, if you don't have to file a tax return, you still have to pay a, a basic fine to the IRS. And, this is, and the Supreme Court considered that, as you know, and uh, Chief Justice... Um, Rogers, right, and voted against it, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, Roberts, I'm sorry, Roberts. And, uh, but at least if that can be repealed, you know, it, it will be something. And, you know, this, this will, to, to focus for a moment on, on uh, alternative medicine, as it was called, now it's called complementary medicine or natural healing. Good segue, by the way. Yes, go ahead. You know, I mean, we're interested in this. Every other Friday, you have Ted Brewer on to talk about that in depth. And, uh, you know, studies, actually government studies, find that about 40% of the adult American population right now, as we speak, 40% of us use some form of so-called alternative uh, unconventional medicine, a prayer for healing, uh, herbal supplements, nutritional supplements, chiropractic, naturopathic medicine, homeopathy, acupuncture, traditional ta- Chinese medicine. There's quite a list of things that fall under the heading of alternative medicine. None of them is really approved by the federal government. And as, as a footnote there, I was involved uh, 25 years ago uh, appointed as one of the first 100 advisors to the new national Insti- the then new National Institutes of Health Office of Alternative Medicine, as it was called, and I divided uh, de- uh, devoted about two years of my time part time to consulting with the NIH, going back and forth to Washington D.C., 
to uh, engage in meetings with my colleagues, the other panelists, and basically it was a big waste of time. It went nowhere, and that whole office uh, in the NIH of Alternative Medicine, which has since expanded to an exponential degree, I think they've spent about $1 billion since uh, 1992 when it was started, and basically they've done nothing except to seduce and co-opt the new generation or many of the new generation of alternative medicine proponents and practitioners to kind of turn them into little bureaucrats who are chasing the money that the federal government will hand out for piddling research projects or or kind of lightweight approval of what they're doing. This has certainly been the case with the conventional licensed naturopathic doctors in the United States. They have bought the government co-optation hook, line, and sinker and have completely sold out their uh, hundred-year tradition of being natural healers. And now their agenda is to show how this works, and it's interesting to cite briefly this example. When the government gets involved in a field, they will kill you with kindness. They'll say, oh, we'll offer you approval and maybe even some money if you will kowtow to our definition and our rules of what you're doing. And I found to my shock and dismay that there were many, if not a majority, of people in alternative medicine, many of the self-styled leaders at that point in the early 1990s, who were more than willing to enter into that Faustian bargain. And they have completely transformed their professions of natural healing into like conventional medicine light. And the name they've given this now, which the government came up with, was complementary medicine. Now, if you just think about that, because language is very important, if you have an alternative medicine approach, but it's now being called complementary, well, what does that mean? That means that the alternative is seen as a complement or an ancillary adjunctive therapy to the number one therapy, which is conventional allopathic drug-oriented medicine, right? So the alternative at best or at most will just be a, a small adjunct to business as usual with conventional healing. You know, in cancer, that means surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. So the example I like to use is the alternative practitioners who used to say they were doing alternative cancer therapy, true alternatives, primary alternatives, are now happy and satisfied to maybe give their patients an herb, an herbal supplement, so that if they're getting chemotherapy, which is making them nauseous, or radiation, which is making them sick, well, just take this herbal uh, supplement, and it might help your nausea. That's now the, how they are now construing uh, alternative medicine under the name of complementary medicine. It, it's sick, and it's evil, and it's completely destroyed natural healing in this country. I mean, books could be written on that. And, and unfortunately, I know where the bodies are buried, no pun intended. But, you know, Literally, that's another yeah. example. Yeah. That's another example. Sometimes in these anecdotal examples, we can learn a lot. Absolutely. And you are a great teacher, by the way, in in your research, in your writings, and, of course, in in uh, appearances like this. You talk about the, uh, the holistic and natural cures and what the medical association, how they have been able to really, uh, you know, push those down to where people who look for alternative forms of healing and, and medicine uh, you know, can't say things cure you, can't say things help you. Even Kratom, 
a, a, a substance that is used for a number of things from pain relief to uh, helping from withdrawal symptoms to uh, focus, anxiety, that is... Um, it's all being uh, I mean, a lot of people, you know, swear up and down by it, say it helps them so much they didn't have to take, you know, prescription pain pills. Instead, they were able to take this. And the 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 feds see this as a, you know, a way around modern medicine and the medical establishment. So what do they want to do? They want to ban it and or you know make it a controlled substance. And that's just one example of a laundry list of of uh, things we could go on and on about. You know, from a, the essential oils to yep. so many other things that are are demonized and attempted to be controlled by the medical community. And <clears throat> this is where this is all leading, Peter, to what you you have laid out in your article and have been talking about for a long time. You know, the, this uh, single payer, uh, state owned uh, healthcare is just a, a trap for total control of the healthcare, just as you pointed out. And right. if we don't have defenders of this, uh, of, you know, to keep things going back to the way they were with private insurance and, and private healthcare, then we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And I fear we're only one real democratic administration away from seeing the single payer healthcare model rolled out as law. Absolutely. You know, Joe, that's an excellent series of points you just made. And we have to keep in mind that uh, the kinds of health care alternatives that at least 40% of Americans are now using, that is natural therapies, both preventative and therapeutic, came about because of the relative free market in medicine, which defined United States health care until the last decade or two. It was competition and the relative free market that gave rise to this kind of libertarian free market impulse, which allowed things like the, many of the things you just mentioned and others to come to the fore, and people would find out about them, start using them, see that they worked. And, oh, by the way, isn't it interesting that almost all of these alternative natural approaches are extremely inexpensive when you compare them to conventional Medicine. Conventional medicine is so overpriced now, uh, the mind can't even take it all in. It's, it's, medicine in this country is now the biggest collection of businesses. It's costing us over three and a half trillion, with a T, dollars a year. And that's about five times bigger than the military industrial complex. That's how big it is. And it's based on selling us, uh, treatments that, I just said, Joe, the federal government historically and to this day has been interested in trying to regulate natural, safe, therapeutic options. You know, many herbal or nutritional supplements, they'll say, oh, that's not tested enough or you can't make these claims about it, even if it's been in use for a 100 years or more. You know, you, you just can't go there. Meanwhile, these drugs, these toxic pharmaceutical drugs are approved and how many of them eventually are shown to be that they don't work or that they're actually dangerous to the extent that they're killing people and they have to be recalled and then you see all the advertisements on cable television with uh, ambulance chasing lawyers saying, did you take this drug? Did you take that drug? If so, call this 800 number because there may be money in it for you if you can show that you've been harmed. I mean, this uh, is just beyond belief. But you know, I, I had the benefit to uh, be able to spend much of my journalistic career looking into alternative medicine, and that came about because when I got involved in writing about healthcare, 
in the 1970s, and, and I go into this a little bit in an article I wrote a few weeks ago for the Hagman Report. Oh, and by the way, at my latest article today for the Hagman Report, uh, at the end of it, I link, I list and link to the five other articles that I've written for the Hagman Report on healthcare in recent months, and also one at American Thinker, so people can easily find and click on those because it, it really amounts to almost at least a, a small ebook in all of the content and all of the words, and I, the series will be continuing. But uh, in one of the articles, I pointed out how I got involved in this, and specifically 40 years ago, as we speak, I was uh, researching an article about the National Cancer Institute in Washington, D.C., and uh, five years before that, the United States had started an official war on cancer. Overnight, they designated cancer worthy of the first uh, war that wasn't a military war in our history, and they poured billions of dollars into the National Cancer Institute and the war on cancer overnight. And of course, it became a bureaucratic boondoggle, and 45, 46 years later now, we're really no closer to finding a cure for cancer than we were when that cancer war was signed by Richard Nixon in 1971, and it was a bipartisan effort, by the way. <coughs> Excuse me. So what happened was uh, in, in the, the mid-1970s when the cancer cure did not occur as promised in time for the bicentennial, some in the mainstream media and me and a few others started looking into this. And I found at the National Cancer Institute through an esteemed founder of the NCI, Dr. Dean Burke, who showed me scientific studies from the early part of the 20th century and I told him I was interested in the area of diet cancer, which was kind of getting a new interest in the 1970s. And he said, Peter, there's nothing new under the sun. This was a vigorous area of scientific inquiry in the 19-teens, 20s, and 30s. And he showed me scientific studies from that period, books on diet and cancer from the 19-teens, 20s, and 30s, which were finding out things like there is such a thing as an anti-cancer diet, that you are what you eat that uh, certain nutritional factors can uh, be used therapeutically if you get cancer. Well, what happened? I said, well, what happened was chemotherapy drugs came along coming out of World War II and studies of poison gas experiments. It was found that nitrogen mustard caused a syndrome in the people who were exposed to it which might, having to do with blood levels, which might actually have some relevance to the treatment of leukemia, which is a blood disorder. And as bizarre as that sounds, chemotherapy was born treating uh, people with leukemia, and it grew from there, and it was incredibly profitable, and it pushed every other alternative, including diet and cancer, into the background. So flash forward to 1977, when I was doing my first reporting on this, and uh, 30, 40, 50 years had gone by by that point when diet and cancer had been pushed in the background. And by bringing it up to the present, I was inspired to think of this again because there were two reports in recent months where, again, the federal government this time admitted that uh, new studies have found that lifestyle factors, particular diet and cancer, are now unquestionably associated with both the occurrence of cancer, the incidence of cancer in the United States, and how well people survive it when they get cancer. So when you look back about 100 years 
of scientific effort have been lost because due to the government's tremendous influence in the whole field of medicine, they have put the kibosh on progressive, innovative, meaningful research into diet and cancer. You know, they, they pretty much called it criminal between the 1940s and recently. I mean, if you were trying to research diet and cancer, you were shown the door in the research establishments and the universities, and you couldn't get any research grants. I mean, a man like Dr. Linus Pauling, who I knew quite well, I interviewed him over a dozen times, only person in history to win two unshared Nobel Prizes. He died in 1994 at age 93. He proposed that vitamin C was a preventative and a treatment for human cancer. Now, here's a man who was accorded the honor of being regarded as one of the 20 best scientists in the history of Western medicine. And the minute he got interested in the field of diet, vitamins, and cancer, he was called a quack by the establishment. Uh, He couldn't get any official research funding. He had never been questioned before in his career. He was considered a genius. He wrote the definitive text on the nature of the chemical bond. The minute he got involved with nutritional research and orthomolecular medicine, which is a field that he gave the name to, he was persona non grata, and he had to swim upstream for the rest of his career. And he used to delight in telling me that one reason he liked vitamin C so much is that for a cost of about $12 per kilogram or 1,000 grams of vitamin C, it could be an effective treatment for cancer compared with hundreds of thousands of dollars that a person with cancer might spend on conventional treatment with uh, not very successful outcomes. So there again we have an example that I can cite, one that I got deeply into and which I wrote about in uh, uh, one of the articles I did for the Hagman Report is the last interview with Linus Paul, which I had the privilege of conducting three or four months before he passed away in 1994, and the transcript of it is at the Hagman Report. And that's worth reading because he is one of the giants, not only of Western science and medicine, but of world science, widely acknowledged. But his work on uh, health, medicine, and nutritional medicine is largely overlooked or forgotten today. And, and by the way, the federal government when I was uh, collaborating or consulting with the United States government in the 19, late 1980s through the mid-90s there in Washington, D.C., they took steps through the old Office of Technology Assessment at the U.S. Congress, which was conducting a five-year study of alternative or unconventional cancer treatments. They took sinister steps to blacklist Dr. Pauling's research by hiring a hack researcher who had no qualifications. He was a medical doctor, but he was unqualified to write about nutritional medicine, particularly medicine proposed by a man at the Nobel Prize level. So this hack writer wrote a a demeaning, distorted research paper about vitamin C and Dr. Pauling, and the Office of Technology Assessment, which was preparing this major study for the U.S. Congress, didn't even let Dr. Pauling know about this research paper. I had to 
get my hands on a copy of it because I was working with the Office of Technology Assessment as an unpaid advisor at that point. And I uh, photocopied it and got it to Dr. Pauling so he could try to make a response. But then the Office of Technology, Technology Assessment just ignored his, his response. And that, that study, by the way, is still uh, in print. You can find it online, the Office of Technology Assessment 1990 study called Unconventional Cancer Treatments. And, you know, it's another basic blacklist of alternative cancer therapies. So it, it seems to me, uh, and correct me, please, if, if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that we do have, there, we do have a cure for cancer. Uh, and I know how simplified that sounds, but really, we, we um, a combination between a preventative preventative measures as well as a cure could combine them both. We, we can beat cancer, but it's not being. Or is that is that a true statement, or is that overstatement? No, here's here's you know as you can imagine, Doug. Since I've been writing about, uh, in addition to everything else I've written about politics, media, popular culture, I've right. written a lot about healthcare. And the healthcare bureaucracy, socialized medicine, and alternative medicine for over four decades. Very close on to uh, probably thousands of articles if I added them all up. And uh, as you can imagine, I've gotten that question a lot. And here's, here's what I've always said, and I continue to say it. I would say that there are approaches out there today, uh, many of them underground, many of them being quietly offered, many of them being offered by qualified, credentialed, esteemed medical doctors, licensed medical doctors who are doing this work kind of on the QT. You know, they can't really run it up the flagpole or else. And they are achieving results using primary natural therapeutics, a variety of them. They are achieving results that are as good or better than what conventional medicine is is getting. You know, it's difficult when you say there are when you say there are cures out there because that suggests that there is a substance or treatment or something that will cure cancer. And of course, every case of cancer, every individual person who gets cancer is first and foremost an individual with an individual case of that disease in terms of what caused it, what that person's commitment to treating it is. You know, there, there are emotional, psychological, and spiritual dimensions that come into play here, some of which have now been uh, actually quantified in basic scientific research. And that's really interesting. But, you know, every person is, is, a, is a unique case. So what what might work for one person? I mean, I've, I've actually run across a few cases where conventional chemotherapy has worked for a person with cancer. In my opinion, there aren't a lot of them, but there are some. And yet it wouldn't work for another person, maybe with that same kind of cancer. And you find the same thing with so-called alternative therapies, that, uh, you know, therapy A might work for one patient, with, say, breast cancer, a similar stage, but that same therapy will not work for another woman with the same cancer at a similar stage. So, you know, it's hard to say, yeah, there's a there's an alternative cure out there or there's a conventional cure, 
but there are certainly approaches that I've documented and that have been documented in the literature, in some cases the foreign literature, that have shown to be effective and, I would add, worth further serious objective and fair study. And that's what they never get. The federal government, to my knowledge, has never in the history of the United States given any of the hundreds of billions of dollars that they have given to cancer research. They've never given any to a fair and objective study of an unconventional alternative or natural primary uh, therapy for cancer. Uh, they try. They said they tried to in uh, nineteen uh, the two thousand with my late friend Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, who died two and a half years ago. The government actually uh, approved a one point four million dollar grant from the NIH and the National Cancer Institute for him and his colleague Dr. Linda Isaacs to do a study on their nutritional therapy against late-stage cancer. But what the government did there, and by the way, Nick Gonzalez, before he died, wrote an entire book about this called What Went Wrong. What the government did there is they designed that therapy or they conducted it, so that test, that is, so that it would eventually fail. And then they published uh, a study in the scientific literature at the end of it saying, oh, it failed, it didn't work, it made the patient's Worse, And Dr. Gonzalez wasn't even given the benefit of reviewing that study before it was published, even though it was on his therapy. So I've seen that again and again with vitamin C, with Laetrile, with the Hoxi therapy, with the, the Brzezinski therapy. I, I could name dozens to brainstorm it. They, they'll sometimes give a little bit of money. Oh, we're interested in studying this, or public pressure has led us to you know, conduct a study of this or that therapy. And the people they hire to do the study or the institution they have do the study has already gone on record in many cases as poo-pooing the approach or, or having a built-in bias or they design the study so that it doesn't follow uh, the protocols of the proponent. Like vitamin C, for example, uh, the federal government supposedly paid to study that in the early 1990s and they hired uh, a, a well-known Opponent of alternative medicine, the late Dr. Charles Mertel of the Mayo Clinic, to conduct that study, and he did not follow the protocols as suggested by the late Dr. Linus Pauling, the two-time Nobel Prize winner. So if you don't follow the protocols of the proponent, then of course the study is not going to work because you're not following the method that the successful proponent used. So, you know, sure, that these are makes the sense. games they play. It's a, you know, it's a kangaroo court. It's 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 a it's a you know, it's yeah. a joke, really. It's a joke. And today, unfortunately, the mainstream media used to be to some extent when I started in this willing to look at these issues. But one thing that the government has succeeded in by playing nice with alternative medicine and starting up these bogus bogus office of alternative medicine, etc., is, um, you know, they bought themselves some cover, and the, whenever the establishment media, if they ever looked into it now, the government has simply to say, oh, we're spending $100, 200000000 million a year to study unconventional or complementary medicine. Don't look at us. You know, we're being fair and objective. So, Again, they kill you with kindness. They co-opt and, and they seduce 
And the next thing you know, the primary alternative is hard to find. I would argue that primary alternative medicine is hard options are harder to find today when more people are interested than ever than they were 40 years ago when I was first starting. And that's by design. That's area. Yeah. It's by design. Yeah, exactly. Well, Peter, I'll tell you something. We could listen to you all, all, all day and all night long. we got about six minutes left before the end of our program. Uh, I don't want to miss anything. Um, so continue wherever, whatever topic. The floor is yours. Well, maybe I'll just take a few minutes to, because uh, like, like you guys, and you did an excellent job in the first hour, by the way, in, in covering today's breaking news. But of course, this morning and last night with the two blockbuster stories that hit the uh, trial of the killer of Kate Steinle, uh getting off, totally off, which was, I, I think that, that news made me more angry than I have been in a long time. And what I would simply like to add there is is an anecdotal um, account, uh, and it, it's only that. But 25 years ago, uh, I returned to uh, the town I grew up in, in in southern New England, not far from New York City. It's in the metro New York City area for my first visit in five years to visit my now late mother. And it's a town I grew up in. I hadn't been there for five years and as I made the rounds during my two-week visit, uh, this, by the way, is in Fairfield County, Connecticut, which is a very high socioeconomic area, although my parents were lower middle-class origin, but they they had the advantage of settling in a uh, kind of ritzy town. They got in on the ground floor there in 1951, and I had the benefit of the good schools and all. But, um, you know, when I would make the rounds, go to the supermarket, uh, the Kmart, the Caldors, uh, you know, whatever, I would find to my amazement that I was hearing Spanish spoken more often by the customers and the staff than English. So I said to my mom, what's going on here? Well, have we been invaded? She said, oh, this is just the flood of new immigrants who are here. And, of course, most of them were illegals. Now, this was starting 25 years ago in an area that was thousands of miles away from the border. And now that kind of invasion has spread to the four corners of the United States. And as in this, another example, the state of California has been, as the uh, Latino residents like to say, it's been reconquered, reconquista. The La Raza or the race movement has succeeded in reconquering California uh, to return it to its Mexican origins. And we see the Democrat leader of the state legislature in California, the Democrat Party leader, recently bragged that more than half of his relatives living in California are here illegally. This is now a badge of honor if you live in California. So the Kate Steinle Outrage! That young woman's death at the hands of this dirtbag who should have never been here and who is now free of any legal uh, cost for having killed her. He's, he admitted that he killed her. 
but he was exonerated for murdering her or even for manslaughter. It's it's you can't even wrap your mind around this, right? But it's happened. So I just I I think of of my memory in this in both California and both southern New England, and I say this is what we're dealing with now. Our the demographics is our destiny, and. Uh, in my opinion, that's what's happened to that's, Pete I, I, we're gonna. That's a great soundbite. Our demographics are our destiny. I, I, you can't say that any clearer, any better than that. Wow. Okay. And, and just briefly yeah. on, the, on the Flynn case, just to wrap that up very sure. briefly, uh, I've been trying to follow up on that today. And, uh, of course, the initial uh, media reports on his pleading guilty was, oh, you know, we're much closer now to nailing Donald Trump. And you and I and some others have been reporting for weeks, if not months, on how the target of the shadow government, the deep state of the mainstream media, is President Trump. So they are going to spin the Flynn a guilty plea to that end. But already some really good commentary is emerging. I just right before we went on the air, I uh, read Andrew McCarthy's excellent piece, among others, in uh, National Review today. He's a very esteemed lawyer, and let's uh, see what we've got before we, we run off thinking that this is the end of President Trump. And uh, I found some other articles linked from Real Clear Politics, which I would recommend again as a pretty good source for tapping into largely mainstream uh, journalism, but from both sides of the fence, really. They do a pretty good job of... Uh, of, uh, of, of putting out a fair and balanced uh, uh, commentary and reporting from both sides. So it's actually good to get a look at what the other side is saying, and they yep. they look for some of the best reporting in that. So, uh, yes, sir. you know, I, I think we'll see where that goes, but, you know, we just have to stand firm here and keep doing our jobs and uh, trying to find where the truth lies. And, and I don't think, uh, I mean, I sense, I hope, and I really don't believe it's going to spell the end of the Trump presidency anytime soon. Boy, I, I, I hope and pray that you are correct. I, I, I believe that as well. I just worry about what the other side, the anti-Sean Hannity crowd, the anti-conservatives out there, the progressives, how they spin this and convince the American public otherwise. It's just a, a sickness in my view. Um, you got about 15 seconds. What are you working on now? <laughs> I can't even remember. I've got so many irons in the fire. And I invite the audience, please go to my Twitter, twitter.com slash P Chowka. P-C-H-O-W-K-A. I'd love to see you there. I'll tell you what. Yeah, yeah. please, folks, if you have a Twitter account, follow P Chowka on Twitter. Please do that. Watch do it tonight. the skies and watch the Hagman report for my next contributions. There will be many coming soon. Peter, we love you. We respect you. We appreciate you. Thank you so very much for your gift of time tonight. And uh, tell uh, tell Biggie to get back in the, the picture. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great weekend. God bless. God bless you. Thanks, you. Thank you, brother. 